What's up, Vibranners? It is another beautiful Wednesday night. Got a lot of great faces in the chat. What's awesome? Let me just say hi to everybody. Loco, what's up, dude? Uh, Cameron, bad fish, bear, <laughs> fish bear. <laughs> love me some bears. Fatasi, Jenny B, of course, I love you. And Lily, and I got to say, I was just thinking how much I love the intro music to the show. And who pops into the chat but Volo, the crafter and creator of that beautiful intro track. So tonight we're kicking things off with just me and Gabriel, as you may have noticed from the title. Uh, I did put weaving spiders in there because, you know, I invited spiders to join. We'll see if anybody hops on. But at the very least, it's going to be a super weaving spiders, schizo mystic, open source flow state for sure. <laughs> schizo mystic is a new word. I just coined it. Um, so in the flow state way of things, you know, that's something they do over on the weaving spiders channel. We've done them here before. The idea is that uh, we're going to keep your auditory left or your right brain, you know, your receptive side occupied while you guys get your hands dirty with some kind of crafting, creating, making something to occupy that left brain with the activity. And so if you got them, draw them or whatever, <laughs> smoke them if you got them too. <laughs> but I would love to see some people do some sketching or some painting or who knows, whatever you like. Drop us a line on the call in telegram channel. I just put that in the live chat. You can also find it, you know, in the episode description. And let me know in the chat too, if you'd like to call in, uh, we can take call-ins. People could leave us a voicemail on the Telegram channel. We're just going to be hanging out. And if it's just me and Gabriel, then, you know, I might not be drawing. <laughs> but if we get someone else to join us, maybe I can also do some doodling while we hang out and talk. Um, we can read. We can, we're going to weave. We're going to maybe get into some emptying of the cup of Gabriel here, Slick Dissonant, because he's always just overflowing. Like literally, I almost told you today, I was like, buddy, just save it. Because <laughs> he's just like laying all this on me in direct messages today. And I was like, you know, we're not live yet. <laughs> hold it, hold it, buddy. So I, I just love you, buddy. I'm so happy that you're here, man. And uh, you're always here, but it's great to hang out and uh, see where this takes us kind of in an old school style. If I do bust out some reading, it's probably going to be from this bad boy, Anacalypsis. This book is like the end all be all. I've <laughs> been working on reading that for a while. So yeah, we're gabbing with Gabe. You can hit us with questions or topics in the chat. You can even, you know, raise your hand to call in and I'll get you a link or, or something along those lines. Anyway, all of that introductory business aside, Gabriel, how you been, man? I mean, I know, but tell everybody else. Yeah, man, I've been real good, man. The schizo synchro mysticism just keeps on flowing. It's out of control. Oh, look at you. Look at that. Beautiful. Yeah, this uh, mysterious universe mug is a Christmas gift. Thanks, mom and dad. Nice. Uh, yeah, the synchronicities just keep on leading my life, man. And I just keep on following, following and learning and growing. And who today was a, a real big one. I'm out at my one of my sacred spots on the earth. Uh, out by this uh, lake in Warsaw, Indiana, where uh, the grand grandmother tree was cut down on Halloween here in the yard. And uh, it's, it's kind of beautiful. I kind of feel like that's my placenta right here on this, on this lake side property. 
So yeah, every time I come out here, man, things just start to flow. And sometimes it's like a fire hose, uh, but I'm kind of used to that. And uh, I'm glad you're there to help me process all of the uploads that come at me at once. Uh, but yeah, today was kind of a, I, did, I had a lot of processing around some of the topics that came up on the show with Topher. Yeah, um, which is cool because I listened to that today. I finally caught it. So for everybody, what we're talking about is uh, Gabriel was recently on BioCharisma podcast, which our good friend Christopher Gardner has recently launched again, kicking it back on uh, after taking a hiatus from podcasting. And it was a really fun conversation. I got through most of it. But yeah, you know, what were you uh, what was coming back up again from that? Uh, it's, a, it's a project from almost a year ago that uh, the Rachel actually uh, was helping me out uh, in its early phases. I think I did a series. It was like four or five over on my Slick Dissident channel about this idea that's been circulating for quite some time from a couple different sources on the web that are, uh, I mean, they're postulating, but it's incredibly well-informed. Like I'm reading their, uh, you know, their sources and, you know, checking it twice. Uh, and a, the the idea here is that the four royal stars are on the move and that they have uh, gradually over a very long uh, course of time that they've just the stars, not the constellations, but just the four key stars uh, that they've migrated clockwise, so to say, or uh, in the flow of time uh, from the four fixed corners of the Zodiac. And that now they are as of officially the final one broke across into its mutable position in 2012. And so, uh, and it goes in a very specific uh, order. So Antares was first uh, back in, uh, I forget the years. Well, 12, let me, can I just add a caveat to this too? Yeah. yeah. Because there's a little maybe confusing. What we're talking mm -hmm. about here is the theoretical processional drift, right? Yeah. And the royal stars belonging to the constellations that we attribute, tropically speaking, to the fixed corners of the zodiac. Yeah. But that drift we're discussing, that actually carries the whole constellation. So it isn't just the royal star. And the royal star is not moving into a different constellation. It's moving into a different house. And the houses are, you know, based on the 12 constellations as well. Right. But the constellation itself is still intact. So really, like we're talking about processional drift, but that those royal stars are very important uh, symbolically. Yes. And, you know, them moving into moving from fixed stations, if you will, in terms of their house location to mutable stations does probably have, you know, something something going on. Yeah. And so the more I meditate on those four stars and all their layers of their meaning, uh, the more uh, um, the more insight I've been uh, uh, gleaning from from that little project. So, yeah, that's where my head's been. And it's been quite a while, wild ride. But, uh, yeah. What's up, George? Good to see you, brother. Hello, guys. How you doing? I apologize for my appearance. I'm not in my usual station. Uh, speaking of stations. <laughs> oh, this <laughs> is the late night chat and hangout, you know, you're, look, no, you're looking beautiful. good. It's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful thing. When um, this this year is already just it's 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 very powerful for me 
because, you know, I've always been, um, I've always been a musician, no matter what, even before I was a musician, I was a musician, right? And it's always been this thing where I'm reminded of this, it's a little bit of a quick little sad story, but I was reminded of this time when I was at a funeral and I saw a bunch of family members and the word on the street was that I was gigging a lot and I was getting a lot of work. And they said, um, congratulations on all your success. And I'm, you know, completely broke, nothing to show for it, except for the joy of doing it and the the benefit of gaining a, a skill. Other than that, you know, I wasn't successful enough to take everyone out to dinner or something like that. Right. But now, you know, 25 years later, um, it, things are finally starting to come around musically speaking. And then with the show, that's a whole nother thing altogether. You know, like that's, that's just picking up too. And it's, it's going to be quite a trajectory for me this year. So I'm, I'm excited overall. Like I have a lot of energy flowing through me right now. As you can tell, I'm, I'm, I'm on edge, man. I'm loving it in a good way. Yeah, buddy. And I'm really excited that I get to come on Third Eye Edify with you. I don't know when the show will come out, but we're going to record on Friday. Right. And uh, I know you've got some ideas of the direction to take it. I might just lay on some, you know, current research. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> so. It's going to be a flow state for sure, man. And I think it'll premiere uh, within a week from Friday or Saturday. Very cool. And we got a call in too. So I'm going to play this from uh, Jake, AKA Loco of the Loco Listens podcast. I guess his name is Loco. Are you Loco? Hey, y'all. <laughs> I don't know how much, uh, Gabe, you've been getting into the prequels, but Jar Jar Binks, man, what do you think? What do you think about him as a character, his underwater uh, habitat, and, uh, you know, anything else that comes up for you? I'd love to hear some insights. Jar Jar is, I don't know why, it's probably just my childhood, but. <laughs> Jar Jar is just one of those beings that has always made me question things. That's a great question. Um, um, am I not mistaken that Jar Jar was like a, actually being set up to be a covert Sith Lord, like the mastermind behind everything? Yeah. So I don't know. Is that true? Yeah, man. Yeah. So your first clue. So we're talking about the prequel Star Wars movies. If anybody didn't catch that, that was what yeah. the question's about. Yeah. So our first clue is the J to the B. J to the B is a Joachim and a Boaz. It's a one and a two. And the one to the two is initiation. That's how you get things started. That's the 12 inches in a foot. Every journey starts in with a step, right? And that's musical too. So that was your clue that there was more beyond. There's plus ultra. The two pillars of Hercules were or the original plus ultra. And so Jar Jar Binks, sure enough, uh, just like Chance was telling you, there is more going on here. And it looks like foolishness. Uh, but I am quite sure that the intention behind the Jar Jar character was that he is a dark Sith Lord covertly. And that it's on us to read between the lines. That's actually the uh, one uh, definition of the word intelligent is interledger. Interledger is reading between the lines of the ledgers. And so I've seen those breakdowns on the dark Jar Jar theory. And it turns out there is a real world correspondence with the theory. And this is, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's a little bit uh, racially occulted, in fact, because I've heard people say that Jar Jar was a was a, a racist trope that should be offensive because for some reason we're supposed to think that anything about him it means that he's uh, another race. Or, and well, it's because he speaks in Jabonics. Because he speaks in Jabonics, you got it. 
Well, this is wild, but there is a dark hand of the Masonic order known as the Boulet Society. And so I'm quite sure that Jar Jar Binks is powerfully correspondent with the with the the Black Masons known as the Boulet. Do you guys know what Boulet means? The word? It comes from the word bull, which is going to be related to bull, of course, uh, like the papal bulls, you know, the bull of the zodiac. But the bull or boule is a secret council or like a ruling organization that is like shadowy. So, you know, they're doing it from the the private side, <laughs> the black masons, the black builders. That's for sure. Yeah. I guess Jar Jar gives us 11, technically speaking, in this case, too, right? And what about the idea of a jar? Does he fit the bill in, in any direction for that? A container of any kind? Perhaps um, a in, in in jar. He's like a babushka. A <laughs> jar within a jar. Oh, jar jar. Yeah, yeah. Layers <laughs> upon layers. <laughs> wow. I like that. You know, uh, double speak is really interesting uh, artistically. Like sometimes you'll see in, uh, in, the narr- in the dialogue of a film, they'll repeat uh, uh, data point un- seemingly unnecessarily, but the double speak is your indicator that there's more going on. It's another uh, sign that I've seen as veiled references. Uh, even like Gozer the Gozerian, you know, that's double speak. They say it twice. And so those are concentric rings, jurisdictional. Yeah. There's fun little magics in all of that. Mm. Yeah, and if anyone's wondering why that question, why did the Jar Jar conspiracy enter the chat at all? Because Gabriel's done a lot of really good work on Star Wars uh, of late on his channel. And that is probably uh, something that will just never end in terms of, (laughs) I had a realization actually. So my realization was like, you know, I was reflecting, writing a bit about like what, you know, why even the topic that I was on at the moment was like, why, why decoding Marvel? What's up with that? And uh, what I realized was that because there's a pattern to nature and to life, there's like an order of operations. There's math to it. If you can glean that there's something that rings true about a story, even a fully fictional story, then because there's something of truth in there, there's some essence of truth in there, then there's actually going to be like, endless truth in there <laughs> so like the authors could come up with what they're allegorizing is something true to nature true to reality and it's this small little slice of awareness that they're putting in but because it has some degree of accuracy to the flow the hero's journey right the hero's journey is a perfect template for that if you build a narrative around the hero's journey truth will emerge into the picture allegorical truth will arise within the narrative that is far beyond the pay grader perception of anybody that was actually putting pen to paper. Right. So, you know, that's the big value of (laughs) decoding something like star Wars or or the Marvel movies. Like we do it, you can find universal truths allegorized in there that nobody's ever even caught in there before, but they've been there the whole time because there's a fractality to it. If you get, even a, if you get even just like a, a hint of a, the slice of the process in an accurate order, then it's like fractalizing out into more, you know, 
if there, if, since truth is the entirety of all that exists, if there's even like a little drop of truth in something, then it's going to be just full of the entirety of all that exists somewhere. If you're able to like, you know, get the right angle on it, you might have to do a headstand and look only out of your right eye, but <laughs> you'll get it, you know? That was excellently stated. That was a perfect way to describe it. You're so right. One seed of truth fractally expands to, you know, a whole, a whole tree, a whole new uh, set of decoder glasses, you could say. And I would go as far to say a lie does the same exact thing in the opposite direction. As soon as it's spit out, it falls apart immediately. And, and, and might take a few months, might take a year or two, but it always finds its way back to where it came from and never works. It'll never work. Yeah, that's why the good stories are timeless and the lies require constant maintenance. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> they fall like apart from the jump. Lies. All these remakes are, are their, their lies and the, the nature of, I didn't create this. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing that Owen Benjamin has put in my head re- recently is how honesty equals health. Mm-hmm. Dishonesty equals death like the more dishonest of a life you live the more the more deceptive you are the worse your health will get and i feel like that's again allegorized in star wars all day because the darksiders they're like literally their faces melting and they're cracked and then look like they fell in lava or they actually did right but in the same way what is also interesting is that if you get unhealthy you become more deceptive and just think about that spectrum in our life because we're all somewhere on the slider of self-deception to perfect total honesty, perfect vitality and life force and health versus like, you know, falling apart and having to constantly duct tape everything back together. So I find that very interesting. Oh, shit. We got ourselves espionage in the house. How's it going, gentlemen? Dude, I haven't seen you on uh, my channel for way too long. Good to see you. Yeah, I've I've been busy. I'm actually standing here working right now. I just figured I'd pop in. and compliment you guys on an excellent uh, introductory madness. Like the, it's just cohesive enough to get guys like me to be like, screw it. I want to jump in there real quick. <laughs> well, just put your camera on whatever you're sculpting and, you know, give us some flow state energy. Maybe I'll read to you. Yeah, I mean, here's a, here's a great big piece of Walt Disney art that I just cut in half with a hot knife and I got to build a spout on the end of it so that you can pour hot wax into it someday. That's the plan. Wow. Is that like a, is that a, a maiden gig? Yeah. 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 Looking I, uh, for a old Jimmy boy over Jim maiden over of the spiders. Yeah. And, uh, peace be upon I, him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a married man uh, in a big way. So we should be seeing more of him soon, but he sent me some beautiful pictures of, uh, him in nice clothes with this spider lady named Rachel, Rachel Maiden. He's, like, he, he's heathen married and legally married. He's like double that's the, married. That's the rumor. I'm not sure if that's true 100%. I haven't seen the paper or anything, but that is the rumor that's flying around. <laughs> it, it looked confirmed to me, let's just say. But I also don't want to, uh, I don't want to make any official announcements. Never know. Yeah, he's the, he's the OG original flow state patriarch. Yeah, it was his idea, man, to uh, to read and and uh, and make art, for sure. And uh, George, I uh, loved your show. I think it was the one you did with Chance, but uh, I just wanted to say I dig your stuff, man. I haven't gotten back. I know I came one time and dropped some info in your uh, 
in your Telegram channel. And um, I just, I used to bounce all over and like imbibe content everywhere and do things in like every single little space. But when you put yourself back on a 40 hour work week, that all kind of evaporates and dries back up, you know? So I still bounce around here and there, but I just uh, get to the end of the, oh, I did work for someone else day. Then there's like, all these personal responsibilities like laundry and sweeping or, you know, like you have to feed your dogs and take them for a walk. And my dog's laying his, my dog insists to come into the studio. Uh, He can walk around the outside of the house to the outside door and he'll give a long scrape on the door. Like, like like two or three times. And I, I have to let him in and give him a bed in here because, uh, Otherwise, he'll just post up right there because I'm his human, you know. Like, it was cold outside, and I ignored him for a minute, and I opened the door thinking, oh, he probably went back in, and he's laying there. I'm like, bro, get in here. What are you doing? You can't just lay on the cold cement and wait for me right here, you know. But so now I just let him in. (laughs) I I appreciate that very much, man. I love what you do, too, really. Bottom of my heart. Appreciate that. And, yeah, Yeah, work-life balance. We could probably – Blow state on that for 20 hours straight, man. It's impossible. For sure. I mean, that's a, yeah, I would definitely encourage you. That's part of the reason I logged in too, because I end up working late because uh, working from home is a huge uh, privilege and a blessing. You know, uh, Jim and his uh, family business were able to do that. I went back to, to the main uh, wax works where I was working for about three months. And I said, you know, I could probably do this out of my own shop. I'm getting set up if you guys want to do that. Um, Cause I had to come back home to Boise is where I'm living. And they said, yes. Yeah. So I did all of this hustling around to get it set up but better than it was. And, you know, so it's like your dreams coming true, but then the reality of the dream coming true is like this, all these unexpected pressures and balancing act and like adjustments. And, you know, like when I get done, I have to completely take off my, I'm working for somebody hat and either take a break and or tend to responsibilities or find some balance of that. It's been a real challenge, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it, if I'm not careful, I burn myself out and then I just lay through the whole weekend like, ah, oh, but what are you, know, so I can't do that, you know, because I might as well just go work for, for the man down the street if I'm going to, you know, feel like a slave. So, but it's coming together. I'm happy. It's, it's slowly working out, you know, it's a challenge. Very cool. I can see that intense look on Chance's face because he's getting... <laughs> He's getting video feedback and he's trying to solve it. I think. No feedback. <laughs> what? I'm uh I'm on a just total weave preparation of. I was going to bring up Nibiru. <laughs> nice, perfect. It's that's, not that's out a great of the Nibiru blue because a commenter earlier in the stream brought it up. I don't remember what the context was, but I had a realization about Nibiru. What I think it is. And anyway, it's <laughs> it's like translated in the uh, Akkadian to mean crossing or point of transition. And so the word is literally talking about like crossing over a river crossing or like a ferry boat. And to me, I'm like, OK, this is especially how it's like uh, considered the seat of the deity who shepherds the stars like sheep in the Babylonian and is, you know, identified with Marduk, who is Mars, who is, you know, the Lord Mars. That is 
Anyway, I think that the whole Zachariah Sitchin's thing really poisoned the well, if you get my meaning, <laughs> on everything related to Sumerian and Babylonian whatnots. And Nibiru, yes, this is it. Loco just nailed it. Connection between Nibiru and Saturn as the old sun. Yes, but not the old sun in the whole like Velikovskian mythos of that you know, we live on a ball and outer space has a bunch of giant exploding gas balls that we call stars and planets. I'm talking about Saturn as the old sun, as in the name of the sun, the current and eternal existing sun that we have already and that we're aware of was called Saturn. <laughs> and Nibiru, I think, and Marduk, I think, is that. You know, what do they call it? Planet X, right? And plant, what is the monic, like, what is the one emblem of the sun besides the circle and the dot? What is the most common symbol of the sun? The X, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it means, it means 10, you know? I mean, like, I'm looking at a page right here of, uh, Anacalypsis where I could just read about the X re representing the sun for like several minutes. So <laughs> Nibiru equals Nabu. There you go, Banjo. Good to see you, buddy. I want to share the artwork that you put into the uh, Telegram group. Just people need to people need to understand what Banjo Glass really is. They, they see do. that in the chat. They it's have important. no idea. They have no idea. I'm, I'm scared of that guy. Look <laughs> at this. Sean. When you can when you can get it that perfect, then I'm scared. It's it's. Awesome. I guess people, if they've never watched somebody work on this stuff, they just don't understand that. It's nuts. It's nuts, dude. Look at the. These are eyeballs. You know. You want to get high right now? This is like <laughs> this is incredibly cool, right? But it's like tame compared to some of the shit that he's made. No, yeah, I'd say that that's like uh, that's like an average functional piece. If you were going to be a collector, that's something you could smoke out of every day. And you got other ones that you spend an extra ten grand to build a glass lighted case to put it in there, and like you only smoke it when your grandpa dies or something. I don't know when you when you use it. You know, <laughs> that's the one for the glass shop. You know, the the fancy head shop. That's the one that's behind the case for people to come in and drool over, and nobody ever right can actually shell out but uh you know yeah steven tyler's daughter finally comes put it on display it. to show that they're doing well you know like yeah we <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like people investing in you know turning their fiat into gold or something you know the head shop will turn their excess revenue into a banjo glass display right. i hope they do that these head shops should hit banjo up and be like we need you to make something that's about you know can we make it more than a story tall <laughs> let's make one where you there's a spiral staircase built into it that you have to go up i might change my mind and take a puff if i had one of those oh my god uh banjo did you make this because i just image searched banjo glass and you know <laughs> it's on subject it's on topic it's a darth vader <laughs> did you do this <laughs> <laughs> whoa crap Nice. You want yeah, that's, like, a labor, that's, that's remarkable. That's a labor of love. Yeah. Did you do this too? Who knows? Somebody did that, but I know for sure this is. Uh, yeah, that's the it, that's the thing that makes Banjo's glass to me fine art is that it's consistent. It's not like over here in this area and over here in that area. Like you see it, 
and it's got the je ne sais quoi. You can, you don't have to ask. You're like, that's by banjo for sure. You know, dude, his yeah, this is insanity, and they're big. I've seen some of them with my own eyes, and you know, in real life. Yeah, whoa, <laughs> incredible. Yeah, that's a trip, dude. This is glass. <laughs> This is gl- this is glass. Yeah, he had to make all of those pieces and then uh, then weld them all together somehow with heat, guys. <laughs> I mean, he might have a workshop where he can assign a high level glass guy that's working for him. You know, I need 150 uh, rainbow feathers. You know, get those done so I can get this put together. But even if so, that's still the same. He's just got other guys fulfilling his vision. I've never asked him about his work. I've sent him some DMs way back in the day because. Because homie's tripping, man. Oh, I see. <laughs> you were aware of banjo glass like wow. long ago. No, no, I found out him because of you, man. Mm-hmm. I found out of him. I'll find out. I found out about him because he was listening to the show. I was like, this guy. Yeah, because he jumped in the Telegram right. and you were talking to him, and uh, he was either in the art group or he was just in your <laughs> Telegram. And, uh, you know, he posted some pictures and of course I was immediately like 100% zealous fan. Like I don't even smoke. I, I quit smoking like what, five years ago, four years ago or something. And probably more than that. And, uh, I still have that massive honor and respect for anything that, that if you, you know, if you're taking it that far, then hats off to you for real. <laughs> it's cause it's badass. So back to this Nibiru from yep. the Enuma Elish, it says Nibiru is Marduk's star, which he made appear in the heavens. The stars of heaven, let him, Nibiru, set their course. Let him shepherd all the gods like sheep. So you could make an argument that that's the pole star, you know, symbolically, but I think it's more likely the, uh, the sun like, because here's the next passage. Nibiru, which is said to have occupied the passageways of heaven and earth because everyone above and below asks Nibiru if they cannot find the passage. So the passageways of heaven and earth, I think, is referring to your tropics. You know, the sun doesn't pass higher than or below a certain range. Those are the passageways of heaven. Nibiru is Marduk's star, which the gods in heaven caused to be visible. Nibiru stands as a post at the turning point. So that's a big point for the uh, the turning point. That's a pole star. <laughs> yeah, yeah very like. Mario. The others say of Nibiru, the post, the one who crosses the middle of the sea without calm. May his name be Nibiru, for he takes up the center of it. Well, that does sound a lot like it could be a pole star uh, reference. But it's, you know, if it's the crossing, it's tricky. The uh, it's like they might be trying to say that the the god is the pole, the unmoving pole, but that the sun is like his chariot that he rides in. And in fact, like when you know when we talk about symbolism, we're like this is solar symbolism. This is the sun. The deity is being represented by the sun. I really don't think that there was much actual worship of the sun going on. I think they looked at it as like the emblem, the symbol of the power of the generative principle, but not like the actual thing. Banjo wants to know how you can join the chat. All right, buddy, check your telegram. I'll send you a link. (laughs) I I would agree chance that I think that the, 
as everybody knows, it's followed me for a while. I'm pretty big into the concept of paralleling as a strategy by the powers of be or whatever you want to call them, where they make a similar story to the truth. And then they'll uh, pump it full of some like kind of drama, dramatic features, and they'll omit a lot of things and or lie like the poisoning the well that you mentioned about uh, what was it stitching that did that recently put out all that stuff. You know, I would call that a parallel. Also, they were poisoning the well is a is a beautiful side effect, but they're trying to get their version of the story bigger and with more focus on it than whatever the truth might be. You know, make it a lot more coherent and cohesive. Omit a whole bunch of really crucial stuff. And I have always thought the caveman story. You know that we were ooga booga cavemen and we were stupid, and then we got smarter and smarter because of evolution and the idea that we all worshiped, literally worshiped the sun itself in the sky. To me, those were always two components of the same parallel story that omit the fact that we've always been intelligent, that we've always had the desire to create technologies with our inherent intellect, you know, and that of course we were never worshiping the, 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 the circle in the sky. We were recognizing that, in the metaphysical way that, you know, we see that that's the thing. That's the thing symbolizing life coming forth and sustaining everything. And that, of course, there's always something behind it. It's not that that thing is, it, it doesn't really offer much to be worshipped, in my opinion. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really give you that interactive thing that a godhead does. Hmm. You know, you there's know, facets to an actual God that you can, you can put it in a position of reverence, praise and worship, but I don't, I've never been able to connect the dots where they're saying that that was true about the sun because we're far from it. We can't touch it. It doesn't change. Yeah. It it, it works as a timepiece. Right. It does work yeah, as a know, timepiece. That's why exactly. in terms of Saturn or time, Kronos being Lord time. of time, that being uh, really the sun makes more sense to me then to attribute that to a luminary that takes almost 30 years to complete a cycle. How is that thing keeping time? You know, <laughs> that's not, that's not, you can tell what time of year you're in with this, with the sun at any point, the moon doesn't do that. So uh looks like Banjo was joined. So if it's, well, wow. I've been wanting to get Banjo on here for a long time. Hey man, you, uh, you with us there, buddy? Hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah. You guys got, can you see me at all? I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a truck riding down the road. That's why you have reception. Yeah. Yeah. You got, exactly. We're close. <laughs> so dude, we're like maybe a month out from getting the shop built and in. So we'll just be permanently connected then. But it's been a, for everybody that doesn't know, Chance and I um, met virtually a couple of years ago and I actually was sort of combing his mind about the area he lives in because I was making a move from the West Coast where I've been to, for 20 years. And um, so he kind of keyed me into this area being a sweet area. I'm, I'm, I'm like an hour from home, which is in Northwest Arkansas. But we bought this beautiful 65 acres. There's no service down at the where we live and work. So I just kind of get to touch in here and there on all the stuff you guys are talking about. This is a rare opportunity to be able to participate. But I'll quit yabbering because I just heard something that I really love to hear, which was, I'm not sure who it was, but someone was describing this whole thing about the the ignorant caveman, which we all know is a total psyop. It's probably one of the oldest psyops. It's like 
I mean, right, it goes back to the Middle Bronze Age when the first patriarchal colonizers, a.k.a. the Sumerians or whatever you want to call them, started conquering neighboring tribes and absorbing them and making them part of the original, you know, psyop, so to speak. So, like, we know that we have at least two, I don't know, let's just go by Wikipedia. We have at least two or three hundred thousand years of fully developed frontal cortex, humor, you know, uh, jewelry making, song, dance, shame, jealousy, all the good stuff that, you know, that really makes humans human. So it's, it's always fun when I hear somebody talking about um, that, that psyop of like the, the ignorant caveman. Like there's only like a few caves in the world. We didn't really live in that many caves. <laughs> you moved to a place where there's a shitload of caves though. I have a bunch of caves on my property. I can go hide in if uh, they try and pull one of their little climate lockdowns or whatever. It just won't matter to us. We're, we're already on paradise. Yo, you do have a really nice king of the castle top of the hill thing going on. I'm going to put you on mute just while other people are talking because there's a bit of feedback and road noise, but I'll unmute you in a second. I just want to weigh in on what you said about the caveman thing. Of course, it does seem pretty evident that the belief that, you know, that we descended from apes makes more sense that we came from something higher and went down rather than from something lower and came up. But I think that that whole caveman story, yeah, occult mockery, because it seems like it just keeps being repeated. Like it goes, the oldest version of it I can find is that the Phoenicians, their whole like maritime empire, you know, if they're real, they made that name, that title may just be astrotheology, but there was some kind of universal system. <laughs> like to me, that's evident. And the Phoenicians actually said that about the Greeks. They said that, uh, you know, when we came here, the Greeks were basically just savages living in caves. And to me, I take like what, how I read that now is, we genocided these fools and set up, you know, set them up as slaves in our colony and told them that they came from caves. But really, we just killed everybody and took away their language and their memory of where, what they were. And I think that gets done on repeat. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, Mike, yeah. what's up, dude? And he says, initiates go into caves. So that could be like in a, another inversion of like, yeah, we're telling you that, you know, the savages that came from the caves. But actually, you know, like that's where we go to do our special boy shit. And sodomy mm-hmm. and whatever they did. <laughs> Entertainment takes over the mental slavery thing. I remember as a young kid, I saw something I was on whatever channel it was on. They were saying, just imagine, you know, what was this thing that triggered the mind to finally evolve into a smart being from a caveman? And I thought about it for years, you know, it kept me there. It kept me there successfully as a child and even as a, as a pretty young adult, too. They do their best to get you thinking about things that no one has any record of, no one has any proof of. And at, at the same exact time, they've inverted, you know, what they possibly already know. And it, it's such a, they did such a good job, but it's thankfully it's changing. And unfortunately the past few years hasn't changed much. People I'm surrounded by, but I'm, I think it's going to change. I think there's, there's a trajectory mm-hmm. up from here. It feels yeah. like. Yeah. You know, so uh, Matt, you're going to need to unmute yourself manually when you want to talk. I just got to keep you muted when you're not talking because of the road noise and echo feedback, but you know, definitely weigh in whenever just pop off the mute button. One, one thing that is, uh, is kind of a constant, uh, task with knowing that caveman cavemen are malarkey is there are certain words I just can't, I can't use anymore. And I have to, I find myself, 
being extra cautious, tiptoeing through the tulips in certain ways. But, you know, one of those words is like primitive, primate Eve, you know, that's no good. That's no good. That, that entertains two psyops in one, you know? Uh, so I do, I find myself wanting to use this phrase primitive, but I'm like, that's just, it's not serving the truth, you know? So it is, it's really hard. And another thought, uh, SB, I might need your help on this quote here. Uh, was it Picasso who saw the uh, paintings, the cave paintings of the bulls? And once he saw them, he said, I have done nothing. I, or, or all the art we thought was art is worth nothing now because it turns out these ancestors from so long ago were more advanced. Was that Picasso? Oh, can I, real quick, I'm going to throw something on what you just said about primates. The name or the word primate actually comes from the ecclesiastical system, which was in place before the Roman, Holy Roman Empire and the Roman church took over. That there was already the system of a bishop of every church, right? And like the diocese and all of that. The primate was the title of the bishop of the oldest church of a region. Oh, so yeah, you maybe the the oldest church, the primate, you know, where you descended from. I don't know, maybe it's something along those lines. Well, yeah, we know it's all puns all the way down, and they they exchange information through second and third and fourth level punnery. I've got some conversation between like a Scotsman and an Englishman where they were talking about a whole bunch of the puns, and if you know anything about those types of uh, that Anglo culture. They do these rhymy sing-song puns like the one good example is in Australia. Their uh, prime minister allegedly went out for a swim and never came back. He just vanished. And his name is Harold Holt. So in Australia, instead of saying pass the salt, they'll say pass the Harold Holt. <laughs> and, you know, so it's this type of second and third level, like super inside jokey stuff in my opinion is a big part. I mean, I've seen plenty of evidence of it, but it's still just an opinion. I can't just provide like a whole slew of facts, but it seems to me that this is one of their main methods of communicating in plain sight, being able to openly communicate just like, just like we do uh, as spiders. We do that because we uh, know so many inside jokes and so many quips and so much numerology and so much uh, language. Um, etymology that there's definitely things that we say and do that everyone else is i'm sure every once in a while we get on a trip and someone brand new is in the audience and they're like are these guys nuts what the hell are they talking about like you know and other people are completely firing off their neurons and having a laugh because they're in on the joke you know they they get it i just found a list of religious titles and styles and man there's a lot for catholicism yeah, I missed that. What did Dylan say? Oh, he just pointed out that the therapeutae of the Greek system or the Essenes of the Egyptians are the same system, which is like the miracle healers. Mm -hmm. you, know, you go to the temple for health therapy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go, go see the priest the same way that you go see the doctor now. I mean, it's really not a different system. That's why they use all the symbolism of the cult that the, you know, they're just using more of a, left-brained approach in terms of how they are mind, you know, manipulating people's minds with the hospitals rather than a right-brained approach with the, you know, the more religious thing. But yeah, there's no, there's literally no difference. This system of the healers that are, 
<laughs> actually your rulers has been going on for a long time. And then I think they're just moving to make it a little more open, like the old days with the medical dictatorship that we've seen lately. Dylan, you yeah, want to nice. jump in and just hang out? You're welcome to. Let me know. Same call, different epoch. Exactly. You know, I just watched a, a wonderful interview uh, that went down over on Esoteric Thoughts on his channel. And it was between um, David Matheson and our boy John McHugh. Yeah, that was great. I ordered Matheson's book on Norse mythology, the astrotheology of Norse mythology. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to getting into that and talking to him someday. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a, a wonderful little uh, meeting of the minds that they put together. And uh, Matheson has done uh, some really fascinating work specifically around uh, Ophiuchus and his relationship to Sagittarius and the Scorpio. And he points out uh, cross-culturally, even in Hindu, in Hindu art and depictions of uh, these sacred characters, that that's the heel of Ophiuchus is, uh, is being, is balancing on the arrow of Sagittarius as well as the tail of Scorpio. And so the, uh, and Ophiuchus is the healer, uh, the healing, uh, constellation. Uh, so that even goes back to the, uh, you know, the Genesis with the bruise, bruise, he will shall bruise your heel and you will bruise his head. Uh, it's kind of all baked into that one little spot there on the elliptical plane. I'm finding all kinds of stuff in Anacalypsis where he's talking about that quote of the the heel and the serpent. And what's interesting is in a lot of the older versions and in various like iterations of that particular mythology, uh, astrotheology, it's actually the mother or the virgin that is stepping on the heel of the serpent, which really right. demonstrates. Now, if I did a little bit of scra- scan, uh, scanning through here, I could probably find some examples because I was just recently reading about it, but it's demonstrative of how the once the confusion and the corruption of the idea of the three and one in the Trinity was really widespread. A totally people missed the boat that, (laughs) that that interchange of who's stepping on the serpent's head was even a thing because the really it's the mother is the son and Mm -hmm. the father, you know, her husband is her son is her lover. Like they're three, three in one. I know that doesn't make sense. It does. It's not real, but that's the mythology. You know, uh, another really fascinating weave on this. This came up a while ago, uh, and I don't have the the, the graphic that I made, but anybody can look up uh, Saint Michael's spear. It's a it's a uh, pilgrimage path that cuts across Europe, cuts right through uh, Rome and the the boot heel of Italy. And then it progresses right through the Echidna Islands. It goes uh, from Italy, it goes right across to Greece, and it cuts through the Echidna Islands, which is, that's the Gorgon, that's Medusa, she was the Echidna. And so the spear of Michael uh, is penetrating through the serpent, and the serpent is under the heel of the boot of Italy. It's a very key point right there. I got some, I got something to read if you want me to. I'll find a I'll find a 
I've got a couple really good pages on Artemis here. Speaking of Sagittarius, this is uh, She Who Hunts from a friend of mine, Carla Ionescu. And there's a show coming out next week on uh, the one-on-one podcast where uh, Carla's been, I've been on with Carla uh, three times now. And the first two times I learned so much from her and I owe her so much. Uh, I'm, I really love her a lot. She's, in, she's, she's got a special place in my heart and she has a, a lovely affinity for Artemis in particular. And uh, this last show that's going to come out next week, uh, she was ever so graceful enough to let me presume to take the wheel and uh, drag her through the hall of mirrors that is my mindscape. (laughs) (laughs) And and, um, I tried it very earnestly to convince her that the Greek pantheon is alive and well inside of the Enneagram. And that all of the personality uh, corners of the Enneagram are also correspondent with some of the key characters in Greek mythology. And some of them are double layered. You know, you can put Dionysus and Neptune in the station of the three personality. So it's, uh, so yeah, I drug, I drug her through all of that. And in the end, um, we talked about not only the Greek pantheon, and then you, you also, you can make the personality dynamics interplay and move around through the, uh, through the Enneagram. But then I took it even so far as to try to convince her that the uh, leaders of the world stage uh, have correspondence with the Enneagram personalities, which makes them also correspondent to the Greek gods of mythology, and uh, which is a huge leap. It was a huge leap. And she was ever so graceful to just entertain the idea. It was like a three hour show. It was a real long one. um, But yeah, so that's who I'm going to be on with Juan next week with. And she wrote this book. And I've been learning quite a bit from this book, fellas, uh, quite a bit, because uh, it turns out uh, uh, Artemis is a bit of an underdog. And in fact, that might be the uh, the source of the phrase, the underdog, as she is often depicted with dogs underneath her uh, as part of her hunting party. Uh, so, yeah, I'll try to maybe find something to read out of there later. Yeah, <laughs> Dylan makes a really good point here. Um, not to poo-poo what you just said, but the Greek pantheon is trash, unfortunately. They're the reason it all got fucked up. <laughs> they butchered the system. Uh, not even Apollo, the most Greek of all Greek myths, is Greek. It's Etruscan, Apulu. Um, tell Gabe to look up Apulia since he's on a boot of Italy kick. And then another one, I want another little weave that Dylan threw out here, which I think is super relevant. This is a quote from Eusebius, the father of ecclesiastical history one of the early church fathers of the Holy Roman Empire, where he says those ancient therapeutae were Christians and their ancient writings were our gospels and epistles. So, you know, this is the type of thing that they were were putting out there before there was anybody that was going to be like literate from the unwashed masses in the lower caste. So they thought that they could just freely let the cat out of whatever bag in their writing because only their own order would be reading it. I still, I found, I found something to read also myself, but yeah, I would love for you to get in on uh, what passage you wanted to read about Artemis, because even though they do fuck up the Pantheon, the Greeks, they are, in my opinion, still deriving uh, some 
level of accuracy of the ancient system in the form of how they're doing the Lumashi star, you know, constellation writing. Oh yeah. And uh, McHugh demonstrates that pretty well. Yeah. Consistency is the hallmark of truth. Uh, Dylan, uh, take three hours out of your life next week and watch my show. (laughs) (laughs) May I interject for a moment? You know, I, I, I glanced over some headline. I might've screenshotted it. I don't remember. I didn't look at the actual article, but some, new popular, you know, pop culture person just spoke about the evils that she experienced while looking into and studying the Enneagram for herself. Did you see this? It just came up in pop culture. Like, like, if oh, you, man. Oh. like telling Tell people, this. warning people off of the Enneagram, like, watch out, you'll get <laughs> cooties from it. Like, what? Wait, what? tell me more. Tell me more. Let me see. If, let me see if I can find a screenshot. I may. All right, George vanished, but I think it's because he's on his phone. So when you like close the app and go to a different one, he vanished, but he'll come back. So Artemis, though, I'm just going to put it out there that her name is Artemis. And Temis is the goddess of Temis is a word meaning order or wisdom. <laughs> so that's your goddess of wisdom. We can, and R is a word probably referring, most likely referring to a river, the river of wisdom, the fount of yeah, wisdom. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's George. Go ahead, George. I didn't take a screenshot, but it's out. If you go, it's it's a new pop culture headline. You'll find it. You'll find it. I don't remember who it said. What, what, like, give me the gist of it and I'll see if I can pull it up. It said, you know, a so-and-so discovered how evil it was once she started looking into it. Like, that's pretty much what it said. <laughs> it's just, oh, I don't remember exactly. It was maybe five days ago. Oh, wow. This is really profound. That's really profound. Uh, so. Because you're doing all this work lately, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Or uh, on it like you, you know, mentioning it all the time. Man, okay. Oh, okay. yeah. So I just Googled it and there's just like tons of Christian websites that are like the top 10 reasons to run from the Enneagram. <laughs> okay. This is so hot, y'all. This is so hot. Okay. Oh, so many things to say at once. Words (laughs) are not sufficient sometimes. Okay. Um, So I'm quite sure that the uh, SB has said this before. I think it's a quote from Gurchev. Gurchev stated that the Enneagram will render entire libraries uh, uh, obsolete. And I can absolutely see where he would make such a bold claim. It's 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 really hard to convey. And I fucked with the Enneagram hard. You you did? I do. It, it's okay. been a, a very valuable lens for my my wife and family and I for about fifteen years. Dude, that's awesome. See, this is it has such a beautiful ascended potential, but it's a two sided sword. It is a two sided sword. And each one of these stations, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I totally agree. It's like anything else. I mean, yeah, you could go right at it. I don't care if it comes from the devil himself. I don't care what's what with all this. Oh, we're translating this wrong. Oh, this is hogwash. That's hogwash. Whatever. Good for the scholars. But how, how in our hearts are we? There's a lot of people that have a lot of information about ancient languages and stuff. But when they're challenged, they'll freak out, call names, you know, get all worked up and aggressive like you know i don't know i'm not i'm not really trying to point anybody necessarily but as far as enneagram is concerned like it's like he's not talking about dylan he likes dylan i love dylan he's my favorite (laughs) but like when you look at uh, when you look at like the 
yeah, yeah, well, I'm aggressive. We're all aggressive. Like when we, when you know the truth, you can kind of like, or at least when you think you know the truth, you, you tend to, you know, stand for it. But like, it's just funny when you look at all of the, you know, a lot of the people who are pushing, uh, this is the correct way to look at it or that to me, and maybe I sound too woo woo are having a hard time staying in their heart. And really they're just like ultra going into the mind to try and sort of this stuff out naturally. You know, we're trying to find a place for our ego to rest so we can take a little break. And when there's so much hot clues coming out from this ridiculous research that you guys are all doing, I'm on the edge of my seat, but you know, I, I can't imagine what it's like having all of those words in the mind. I'm just an artist and a dad and you know, I can't, I can follow it, but Oh my God, to contain it. You guys, I don't, I don't envy you. Oh, we're, yeah. we're literally just winging it. This is <laughs> we're like seriously just winging it. But I want to riff on what you just said about the heart because assertiveness and aggression is actually a quality of our heart. The ability to be assertive when we need to be aggressive when we need to express anger when we need to is a heart quality. So, you know, Dylan, a, a Leo son, he's really good at expressing a, a boundary, you know, in a way that's a, a assertive or aggressive to people who are like betas and easily offended maybe, but <laughs> it's just in the moment, he's in the moment expressing the actual appropriate energy for that interaction. Probably most of the time, usually. I and, personally love it. Yeah. I personally love it too. But when you're like, when you are not able to express ag- aggressive energy or assertiveness or anger in the appropriate time, We've all seen it bottle up and then, mm-hmm. you know, then people have blow ups in inappropriate ways that are super lame. Oh, it's right. an example of that. I had a, <laughs> I had a recent client that I ran into the trauma in his energy field around the time of 9-11 and knowing the lies about 9-11 and having like, imagine I didn't learn about it at least till many years later, like at least seven or eight years later. Imagine being at like, you know, in your 20s and 9-11 happens and you know that it's fake and you're being lied to from the beginning and everybody around you is like tarting out and you can't express it to anybody and you're mad about how, <laughs> you know, how we're all being lied to. That would make you mad and you can't even express yourself properly. So anyway, when I hit this pocket of bottled up 9-11 energy and aggression that he had no idea about, like he wasn't thinking about 9-11. And it's not the only thing. It's like a larger complex. It's just related to the ability to express anger properly in general. But when I hit this pocket of stuck energy, homie just started puking, like, ah, like serious puking. We had to take a break. He was violently vomiting. And uh, later he emailed me a couple of days later and he's like, I thought it was something maybe that I ate because I was starting to feel queasy before the tuning. And I, I personally was like, no. You uh, were feeling queasy like that before the tuning because your body knew it was coming <laughs> before we even started. People have reactions before we even start. The Hell yeah, you know, bro. Overlap with release work all the way, Chance. Shit happens all the time. You're doing a release work with people. You and I have talked about how release work and sound work already kind of overlap. It was you literally know? like it is release work. I mean, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Just still exactly. of, especially with things. the heart, I incorporate elements of release work. But anyway, dude puked a bunch. And then after the session, he emailed me a few days later and he's like, after the session, I felt better than I did before. I never, I didn't continue to be ill. I wasn't sick. I didn't come down with something. It was just like literally the uncorking of that held up aggression had to come. There was so much that it just had to come out in, in the form of purging like puke. So anyway, Beautiful. tuning is basically like an ayahuasca session without the uh, shaman or the trip to South America or the tripping 
or the drugs or, you know, just good, clean, energetic uh, rebalancing. Good stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, I want to riff, riff real quick on the Enneagram. Uh, Enneagram is Plato's cave. And those individuals bound, everybody knows Plato's cave. I don't need to uh, go through it uh, in detail. I'm pretty sure we all know Plato's cave. You know, they're all bound and they're seeing the shadow. All they can see is the shadow. And the, the shadows are generated by a false light. It's a false light. False light is a term in Black's Law Dictionary. You guys hear what I'm saying here? Black's Law Dictionary. False light. So they are all adhering to the false light. And the shadows on the walls, those are the dark aspects of the Enneagram that each station uh, is bound to. However, like chance comes along with his tuning fork and gives you a whiff of a fresh breath of air. And you people get a sense that there's something more. There's plus ultra. There's more beyond. And they find their way out of the cave. And that's for the first time they see the true light, the true source. And they're so blinded that they, uh, the tears come to their eyes because they, can't, because they have to adjust. It's actually painful them, for them to see the true light. And this is uh, the regulatory capture of the, uh, of the entire realm that we're in. And the Enneagram is a fabulous articulation of Plato's cave. And what is quite compelling is that in the Enneagram, uh, geometrically speaking, the top station, so if this is the cave, let's see, if this is the cave, you can see this is the entrance. You can actually see the details of Plato's cave. And guess what station Pluto, the planet Pluto, is the only station who can see out of the cave. Pluto, the planetary aspect, Hades, uh, can see beyond. And this is the station that can, has the ability to perceive uh, beyond. And guess what, Chance? When you give them the tuning session, they become balanced. They become peacemakers themselves. Yeah, and that Pluto is a purgative thing, too. You got it, buddy. You got it, man. So all of this stuff, the depth and the breadth and the, uh, the truth of the Enneagram is profound. And what you're telling me, George, the fact that the Christians are flipping their shit is really fascinating because we know that the Christians are just, uh, uh, by design, they are quite willing to play the proxy warrior, proxy warrior role. And all they got to do by design, by <laughs> design. Christian soldier. Yes. And so all they got to do is uh, associate uh, such a powerful system that this is with right. something evil, dark, uh, part of, you know, the new world order. And it will be a witch hunt like we've never seen. And now I'm going to I'm going to substantiate this in a really creepy way. Uh, but I know a lot of people have heard of the order of nine angles. And the Order of Nine Angles is a dark and scary rabbit hole. It's quite a real thing. Uh, and their particular sigil is a nine-pointed star. It's not identical to the Enneagram. It is a, it's a slightly different. But you better believe that when the witch hunt comes down, they're not going to be paying attention to which, which nine-pointed star you're studying or researching. No. Uh, so, so I see this as uh, as a potential danger or hazard in the future. Sorry, George, go ahead. Say that oh, again. 
same thing with the swastika. It's like, oh, it's this one. It's, it's facing this way. It's facing that way. Which one is it? You're all evil. It's, there's no difference at all. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's going to be a hot topic, uh, a hot issue coming forward. Uh, but it's very exciting. It's also very exciting, you know, to have your head wrapped around uh, what it may mean. <laughs> well, we've got a warrior like you at the forefront of it. It's great because you have so much information for it already. We can help others not fall victim to these things when obviously they're trying to push it. And, you know, it's funny when all the, I'm not going to label it any certain way, but like anti-NASA stuff was getting really hot and heavy. All of a sudden, we're going back to Mars. We're going to the moon like crazy. And, you know, what a coincidence now that you're on this and maybe there's some others that I'm not aware of. And then suddenly there's this and a, and a like really like front headline topic. It's crazy. <laughs> it's no coincidence. Bird dog yeah, just posted this in the telegram group. He says, this is your brain, Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> it never <laughs> turns off. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you you want to read? Do you want me to read? I found something to read. You go first, bud. Okay, so we're just jumping in the middle of, you know, the uh, enormous stream of consciousness that is Godfrey Higgins in his work, Anacalypsis. And I might not read a whole lot because just a little bit here. Oh, hey, I just found a three of pentacles under my keyboard. <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow. This is us right now. The three in the traditional tarot or traditional, the right or way, the three of pentacles is like, you know, the guild meeting underground to share their skills. Nice. This is, this is us right now. Uh, this is an herbal tarot. So oh, this, cool. uh, the herb is called Gentian. And I don't know what that is, but okay. that was under my keyboard. Cool. Nice. Good bookmark. I have a book. <laughs> the tertium quid of placenticles. <laughs> okay, I'm not. Where do I want to start? So this is chapter two from book six. It has sections such as the adoration of the virgin and the child, the karma lights attached to the virgin, the virgin of the sphere, festival of the virgin. So a lot about the virgin. There's more sections than that, but let's start off around. Yeah. So okay, cool. I'm just gonna start from right here. Uh Adonis is the Hebrew Aleph Dalet Nun Yod A D N I Adonai, which the heathens learned from the Arabians, one of the sacred names of the deity. Mary or Miriam, Saint Jerome interprets Mira or Maris, Miriam is the same appellation of which Ariadne Ariadne seems a corruption. This is actually a major weave, literally, because we're talking about Ariadne, the uh, the weaver. Orpheus calls the mother of Bacchus Leocothia, a sea goddess. Nonus in Dionig calls Sirius star Mora or Merit. Maris. Hesychius says, okay, this is in Greek, so give me a second. <laughs> Mera Kaon to uh, Asron. So I don't know what that means in Greek. Our Sanford Hansen furs this star to mean Miriam, Moses' sister. 
Uh, Vosius de Idolol approves of it. Myra, by metathesis, is Maria. Thus we see that the reverend and learned gentleman, Dr. Stukely, has clearly made out that the story of Mary, the Queen of Heaven, the mother of Adonis, or the Lord, as our book always renders this word, the book being the Bible, with her translation to heaven, etc., was an old story before Jesus of Nazareth was born. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Where you see the Lord in the Bible, the uh, Hebrew would have often would say Adonis. Who's Adonis? I thought that was a different guy <laughs> than Jehovah. It's not. After this, Stuckley observes that Ariadne, the queen of heaven, has upon her head a crown of 12 stars. This is the case of the queen of heaven in almost every church on the continent. In the service or liturgy of the Carmelites, which I bought in Dublin at the Carmelite Monastery, the virgin is called Stella Maris, that is, in fact, the star of the sea, Leucothea, Venus rising from the sea. All monks were Carmelites till the 5th century. After that, from different regions, motives, New from different religious motives, new orders branched off from the old one and became attached to new superstitions. But the Carmelites always remained, and yet remain, attached in a peculiar manner to the Virgin Mary, the Regina Stellarum. Regina means queen, Stellarum means heaven, the queen of heaven, Regina Stellarum, Virgin Mary. The Carmelites were the original monks. Uh, Nazoreoi, Nazoroi, Naz okay, it's basically Nazarites. I'm reading a Greek word, so it's tricky. Translated from Meru and Tibet to Mount Carmel, or the Mount of the Garden of God, or of the Sun, at the foot of Lebanon, or of the Mountain of the Moon. They were the original monks of Maya or Maria. The others were all offset from the parent tree. Or perhaps they were a species of heretics who arose from the original monkish religious system. This accounts for the Carmelites being, in a particular manner, attached to the adoration of the Virgin. Isidore of Seville says that the meaning of the word Mary is one who begins to illuminate. Maria Illuminatrix. He gives to this Virgin, as her mother, a person called Anna, an allegorical name by which the Romans meant the annual revolution of the sun, which they personified, and for whom they had a festival, under the name of Anna Perenna, at the beginning of the year. The Hindus have the same person as a goddess under the name of Anna, or Unu Purna. Purna is evidently Purina, or Pur Purana, there is extant in Jones on the canon a gospel history called that of James or of Mary, in which her mother is called Anna, of whom I shall say more presently. So that's a huge weave right there. <laughs> the Hindus and the Romans have the same Annapurna Unupurna festival. Dr. Pritchard says the beneficent form of Bhavani, termed Devi or Annapurna, is doubtless, as Sir W. Jones remarked, the Anna Perina of the Romans. Again, Anna Peruna, Perna is, however, also the counterpart of the Egyptian Isis. 
she is figured as bent by the weight of her full breasts and reminds us of the statues of Isis Multimamia. Again, Bhavani is invoked by the name of Ma, as was Demeter among the Greeks by that of Maya. In the passages where the Hebrew word M-R-I-M, Mem, Resh, Yod, Mem, which is Miriam of the Old Testament, is translated by the Vulgate, it is rendered Maria, and the Septuagint render it Mar- Mariam. Yeah, Miriam. All this clearly, sorry, I'm reading Greek, <laughs> Miriam. <laughs> all this clearly proves that they were, they are all the same name. I'm going to go about one more page front and back, maybe a little more. We're going to get some good stuff. Though there can be no, I don't care if we're losing watchers. I want to read this. <laughs> Though there can be no doubt that the celestial virgin of the sphere was the one original source whence the Madonna Regina Coli, Coli, that's a, a Latin word for heaven, C-O-E-L-I, Regina Coli, Queen of Heaven, Madonna, um, Theo Tacos, <laughs> I think that's how you say that, and Mat- Mater Dei, Godmother, Mother of God, were derived, yet the goddess Cybele was another. She was equally called the Queen of Heaven and the Mother of the Gods. As devotees now collect alms in the name of the Virgin, so did they in ancient times in the name of Kybel, in which they were protected by a law when begging was otherwise not allowed. The Gali, now used in the churches of Italy, were anciently used in the worship of Kybel, Our Lady Day, or the Day of the Blessed Virgin of the Roman Church, was heretofore dedicated to Kybel. It was called Hilaria, says Macrobius, on account of the joy occasioned by the arrival of the equinox. Hilaria. Lampridius also says that it was a festival dedicated to the mother of the gods. A Greek commenter on Dionysus, cited by Demeter uh, in his Antiquities, also states that... The Hilaria was a festival in honor of the mother of the gods. By the way, Hilaria, Hilaria, Hill of Ares, Mm -hmm. most high, you know. (laughs) In the fourth century, there existed a sect of Christians called Colliridians who made offerings of cakes to the Virgin Mary as a goddess and queen of heaven. The Colliridians are said by Mr. Sale to have come from Arabia. They worshiped the Virgin Mary for God offering her a sort of twisted cake. Twisted. Think about what you're talking about with a twisting of the card. (laughs) Sort of twisted cake called Collyrus, whence the sect had its name. This notion of the divinity of the Virgin Mary was also believed by some persons at the Council of Nice, who said there were two gods beside the Father. They were Christ and the Virgin Mary, and they were thence named Miriamites. Others imagined her to be exempt from humanity and deified, which goes but little beyond the popish superstition in calling her the complement of the Trinity, as if it were imperfect without her. It is very evident that the idea of Mary being the mother of God and also God himself in some way or another rose from the Maya of India, 
the spouse of Brahm. Maya was the female generative power, and as such, the deity and the mother of Buddha, or divine wisdom, or the Logos. Thus, she was the mother of Yao, or of the, uh, IHS, Iota Eta Sigma, or of Jesus, and still a part of the deity. She was also the Ruach, which is Resh, uh, Resh Yod He, no, not Yod. Resh Vav He, yeah, Ruach, which is the spirit, Holy Spirit. And thus it was this word was feminine in the Hebrew or Buddhist book of Genesis. So here's a really big uh, paragraph, not big lengthwise, but this is important. Samuel and John the Baptist had the same person for their mother as the Virgin Mary or Anna, or at least person or at least a persons of the same name who all produced their sons in the extreme old age in their extreme old age. We point that out. It's because we're talking about the son and the son in its extreme old age gives birth to the new year. Hmm. Okay, Samson's mother was delivered of her son in the same way, but her name is not given. But from the similarity in other respects, it was probably the same. All these ladies might very properly be called what, I have no doubt, that they were called Perennas or Per-Annas, having the same meaning as Per-Betustas. But this Per-Anna or old year seems nonsense. I believe it secretly or mystically alluded to the mighty year celebrated by Virgil and that it was the period of 608 years to which it alluded. I'm going to go a little further. The 25th of March was a day of general festivity throughout the ancient Grecian and Roman world and was called Hilaria, 25th of March. That's around my birthday. The Phrygians kept the same holiday and worshipped Attis, the mother of the gods, with similar rites. Hence the appointment of this day, Lady Day, to the honor of the mother of Jesus, called by the Catholics the mother of God. Here Attis is made a female. Attis in the Persian means fire. This must be Vesta. It is is it anagram? <laughs> is it anagrammatically ista or the Latin ista? So I'm going to make a quick point here. Uh, Vesta, Lady Day, Hilaria. We're talking about the Agnes Day, Agnes Day. Agnes, meet a word referring to the lamb or the ram, Aries, Hilaria, but also Igni referring to fire, just like in Sanskrit. The Hindu god of fire is Agni. So whether they're worshiping or celebrating the mother or the son, the mother of God or the son of God, they're talking about the same person because the three parts of the Trinity, mystically speaking, and, it, you know, all these type of festivals are the same thing, which is the new, you know, the spring equinox festival. I'm going to read one more paragraph. Igniting the beginning of the year. Exactly. <laughs> Start your ignitions. Okay. In the 15th, and Addis in the Persian means fire. You know, you know, this was like, it was all over the place, wherever you look. 
In the 15th verse of the third chapter of Genesis, God says to the serpent, which had been tempt, which had tempted Eve, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here the seed is called it and afterward his in the masculine gender. But the Roman church, as I have before shown, translates this in the Vulgate, ipsa, ipsa contrarit caput tunum, by which they cause the woman to bruise the serpent's head, and not, as the Protestants do, the seed of the woman to bruise it. The Hebrew language having no neuter gender, therefore a literal translation must have either he or she. Availing themselves of this equivocal or double meaning, they have made this passage serve as a justification of their adoration of the celestial virgin, which they found in Italy and other countries, and which, of course, in compliance with their much-abused traditionary practices, they adopted. Chance. I'll just stop there, but... Yeah, yeah. There's, there's so much going on. Okay. I know. It's like two so, pages. Okay. Did, <laughs> did you say uh, uh, Genesis 15... Three or fifteen thirty? I heard a one five three. Yeah, it's the fifteenth verse of the third chapter of Genesis. Okay, that's so it's right th- after the, your your pi verse. There's a follow oh. up, you know, three one four, then three one five. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Okay, there there's so much packed into that. So okay, one fifty three is uh, in uh, ordinal. It's uh, Zoroaster. Um, one fifty three is the number of nets or the number of fish caught in the net. I'm going to read about the net here in a moment. Um, there's a lot of things that are 153. It's a very sacred number. In septenary, it is ARK, A-R-K. So this is the ARK. Also, when you read it in Greek, I heard you say, uh, I think you said, I don't know if you said serpents or kaput. I think you said kaput. Kaput is head in Latin, and I, you know, they... Yes. They make the, uh, <laughs> he was referring to how, you know, when they translate it from the neuter of the Hebrew into Latin, they are assigning it a gender. Right. And they're making it ipsa, as in the female pronoun, so that they can say that the goddess is the one bruising the serpent mm-hmm. or whatever. And this was to justify, you know, this was to help prop up their whole system because they're coming into a place where everyone's already worshiping the goddess or the queen of heaven. And right. even like, you know, when the the church comes into Britain, actually Dylan talks about this in his new book, Holy Sailors. When the church came into Britain, they found like, you know, temples or churches, the things the Druids had set up already going where they were already prepped and re- like they were already totally inundated with the mythos of a virgin giving birth to a savior. So mm-hmm. the Romish church just comes in and they're like, Hey, it happened. We ha- here. this is the guy savior was born. And everyone's like, cool. All right. We'll just, you know, just do this thing now because it's the same system we already had before mm-hmm. you guys took over. So like when I talked about <laughs> the Phoenicians saying the Greeks were cavemen, uh, so, you know, allegedly, I think that we're looking at a very long history, way further back than we can see of a a universal system that's been, you know, written (laughs) in the stars. Lex non scripta is not written down in text, but it was up in the sky. And like, you know, that's where the system was derived and kept. 
and uh, different masters took over the corporation at different points, new management, but the old system just kept going. But whenever the new managers would come in and take over, they would, you know, <laughs> take, take over the language and the history of the previous culture, change their language, genocide a bunch of them, and then give them a few hundred years of astro theology that they call history mm-hmm. to cover up the fact that they just genocided all their, those people's ancestors. Like right. what we see, this is Dylan's uh, uh, idea too. I totally see this the more I look at it, ancient history and how obviously it's astrotheology. Uh, that what was going, what happened in when the Europeans invaded the Americas and the Indians were genocided, that happened in Europe. That happened in Europe and we just don't have any record of it. So, yeah, so uh, isn't the problem basically. Uh, uh, I got to, I got to point it out that kaput you were talking about the, uh, the heel bruising the head, that exact line we talked about earlier on Ophiuchus. Well, the name of the serpent in Ophiuchus's legs is serpents kaput. So there were literally names of the constellations in that line that you read when you read it in Greek. So that's oh, giving Latin. A, or, oh, okay. Latin. Thank you. That gives us uh, strong coordinates over yeah. there. In Greek, I don't know if that changes your perspective on any of it. Kefali, Say it one more time. Kefali is head in Greek, so I don't know if that changes. Kefali. I got to get a charge, Caleb. Right back. Yes, uh, head. Uh, well, I don't know what he just said it was, but it sounded like it's. I'm going to look this up. Okay. Kefali, 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 head in Greek. I just want to see how it looks. Kefali. So phonetically, it's got the uh, Fali, Phallus. Poly, polis, the whole head idea of wisdom and head going hand in hand, arche, poly, folly, you know, F-A-L-I is not far from P-A-L-I, especially when some versions of P are pronounced like an F, like Phoenicians. <laughs> so interesting. Kefali, didn't know that word. Uh, nice to have a Greek, someone hip to Greek in the conversation tonight. Mm. Yeah, of course, the Baphomet that. head is is kaput fifty eight. Oh shit! SB with the home run. <laughs> <laughs> Just over there doing his Disney wax sculpture work, and then you know popping in a little bit of gravy here and there. Perfect. Well, since so you said like. kaput, there's there's a sweet interview with Twyman and uh, Ryan Peverly about the whole Baphomet fifty eight, kaput fifty eight. That's right, man. Uh, Beverly was popping back on the scene for a minute there. I haven't seen yeah, him. No, I heard that he's uh, changing his mind. Makes oh. me wonder what's up with that guy. Oh, uh, yeah. I, uh, I was reaching out to him. I think we emailed a couple times. Uh, I think, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where, where he's at these days. I heard um, he was on the uh, Substack, but then I heard he's shutting it down. But, I mean, you know, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't messaged with him or anything. Yeah. You know, I always enjoyed his stuff. Libra, Ohio stuff was good, you know. So. Yeah, man. He was deep early. He was real deep early on. He's um, back. Uh, I almost went on his show, but then I guess he decided he didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. So just a quick uh, note here. So theoretically, theoretically. Uh, so we're thinking this the serpent's kaput, this head of the serpent in Ophi, between his legs. 
uh, might be incredibly significant. You know, we've kind of we've kind of triangulated it. Uh, what is it? Quadrangulate, quadrangulated it <laughs> for, uh, four different ways. You know, we did it Latin, we did it in Greece and Greek, and then we did it in uh, Knights Templar. And I just want to point out that one of Matheson's overlays of that exact station in the in the sky, the head of that serpent between Ophiuchus's legs, uh, also in Hindu lore, it is. Uh, depicted artistically as the lotus flower, a sacred lotus flower that is being held by, I believe it's Shiva, uh, in this artistic, uh, yeah, in this artistic depiction of Shiva, he's holding a lotus flower. So I think we're seeing a sacred communion of sorts. Um, yes. Yeah, so Shiva is the destroyer, right? The feminine aspect of the Trinity is the destroyer and regenerator. They're mm-hmm. both things. So when Shiva's holding the, Lotus flower yeah. is the same symbolism as the queen of heaven, Regina Stellarum, mother Mary holding a, uh, lilies. Yes. It's the same symbolism. Yes. And this is where the point or the, the cure is in the dose. The cure is in the dose where it's, it can be healing or it can be poison. It's all about uh, the amount or how you use it. Just like we were saying with the double edged sword of the Enneagram. You know, it can be dangerous, it can be dark, it can be the head of Baphomet, or it might, or it might be the natural curative uh, available to us all, gift of the realm. So oh, with Serpent's Caput, you also have Hercules. Basically, that's the guy who's standing on the head of Serpent's Caput. And, I mean, does it need to be said? Hercules, Heracles, that name means pride of the lady. So whether it's a guy or <laughs> he's got Hera in the name. Okay. So I'm sure that there's probably pre, you know, star maps in the past where Heracles might've even been a chick or a goddess figure, at least in terms of what that constellation was. And did I miss one of you saying it? Cause Shiva can be standing on the Lotus as well. Did one of you say that just now? Cause I, I usually, I've seen, yeah, it. he emerges out of the Lotus occasionally. Right. Yeah. So I, I wonder if, because you were talking about, you know, standing on things. That's it's it all relates. It all relates as always. <laughs> I can find some stuff about the lilies and the lotus in here. Yeah. <laughs> this is literally the Bible of symbolism. This isn't even the whole book, by the way. There's yeah. another volume. I, I think in Matheson's work, Pure he was treasure. saying that the Shiva that is on top of the lily that is just above the head of serpents kaput would be Hercules. Uh, I think in, in his project, he corresponds that with Hercules. Very interesting. I think he's, I think that's on the money. I'm looking forward to talking to him. That's very someday. Cool. I need to catch up on his work though, in, but it uh, was treasured. Like I was, I treasured the opportunity when he shared the Mathis and McHugh talk to be like, wow, somebody else deep on astrotheology. You know, you know there's not many of us out here and everyone's always like Micah Dank, Micah Dank. And I'm like, that's the, Kitty pool, man. I want the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard uh, I heard Micah Dank talking to some uh, to some folks recently. Uh, he made a really good case, and they were uh, incredibly skeptical. He had a real uphill battle with those guys. Um, he did a decent job. Uh, I kind of wished I could have jumped in <laughs> to finish off the put the finishing touch on it, but yeah. Very cool. 
I'm just yeah, Gabe, I bought a deck of uh, Enneagram cards uh, at the like the regular bookstore, and they kind of you know kind of in the same box and style as a tarot or a divination deck. And uh, I've been meaning to take a picture and send it to you. I haven't even opened it yet. You know, like I want time to sit because uh, <laughs> I got um I got a good video from uh, Uzi Greenwood, aka uh, Owen Hunt, um, about how to do a good job of honing in on your type. It's like 20 minute talk by a lady, but you need a pen and paper and you got to kind of go through her little process and it'll help you pin down your type. And, you know, back in the day, I took a bunch of the little online tests and, um, and got my type and it, you know how it is. Most of those tests narrow it down to you're either this or you might be that, you know, it's usually they give you two top options for what they think you might be. And so mm-hmm. my plan is to go back to that video that uh, Owen sent me. Um, narrow it down, you know, I've got some reference material from when I was studying it. So pull that stuff back up out of my archive. Look at where I was. I think nice. I was a seven, but I'm not mm-hmm. positive. Um, okay. I don't even good. remember. I don't even remember which is which right now. But I remember what you said that uh, six is like a vast majority of the world are sixes. And that's what makes it easy for uh, bad people to do big, big sweeping moving things because I don't know if you guys have ever seen that sociological experiment where um, they send a bunch of people into an elevator and everybody faces the back Mm -hmm. and they get in and they just stand with their face in the back as if it's normal and see (laughs) how many people get on and also follow suit and turn around and face to the back just because everybody else is facing to the back. And like almost everybody does, you know, I mean, I could only imagine me for one thing, I'd know what was going on, but I'd just pick on these guys. Like, what do you guys see? I mean, you guys, you guys in a K hole? What's going on here, guys? You guys take too much drugs, or I love it. That's perfect. That's a perfect example because a, a six is a, they're considered loyalists uh, is one term, but it would also be conformists. Yeah, and yeah. Most people is. are conformists whether they want they they have too high of a desire to be approved of by other people. Right. And like, you know, I recommend Ooh. to anyone here in this to let go of the desire to get approval from other people and realize that all the, the all the approval you need is already available. It's within yourself. That's where it is. And you can give yourself 100 yeah. percent approval all the time. You catch yourself not giving yourself 100 percent approval. Just kick it back up to 100. That's all you got to do is say, hey, I need a manager on the phone here. I don't know who's being nasty <laughs> to me, but let's kick it back up to 100 here. You know, Dude, that's, you just described how I live my life. That's <laughs> it. We, well, you figure it out and then you want to tell other people because you see them suffering. Like, why are you being hard on yourself? Believe me, there's I, plenty of people honestly, already out here gunning just, for you, you know. I just paid attention to my own thoughts until finally the unconscious drive that was like running in the background and, you know, the inner monologue that's out of control would just just started saying stuff like chance is crushing he's totally crushing right now wow yeah, he's not perfect wow how cool chance is so cool and so like that's the voice in my head i don't come at me i don't care i i'm not saying that you i'm better than anybody else i think we should all just have our minds should be no. more of a of a support than a fucking yeah you know, they call it there's a guy i love uh, the, there's a guy named larry crane and he calls it a steam bath give yourself an a steam bath <laughs> nice you know? If you want to judge yourself, just go stand in front of the mirror and set the timer for five minutes and just compliment yourself for five minutes in the mirror and come up with genuine compliments from yourself. Look yourself in the eye and see how much you struggle with it. I struggle with it sometimes. I'm looking at myself like I feel like I'm bullshitting myself here. Do I really mean it? But that's the thing. You can just let that go and be like, well, what? I mean, is there... You, you well, can't okay, as as Jennifer and I were talking about earlier, (laughs) the the dog of it all. Dog responds better to 
tell praising them for what they did right than scolding them for what they did wrong. Yep. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about bullshitting. <laughs> right. Just like focus on what you're doing right rather than chastising yourself for what you're doing wrong. Exactly. You know what you did wrong without the need for the chastising. And, you know, like anytime, uh, I'm not saying that you have to be so fragile that any little bit of criticism from some other external source will, you know, crumble you to pieces. I just think we all probably operate better. I've even, you know, and I've, I've known people who like refused this idea to me and they would say like, no, I'm only really good at motivating myself through, you know, mental lashing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a common <laughs> and, and thing. I look at their life and I'm like, you're not really doing a good job. You're, no, it doesn't uh, work. Uh, your life is kind of in shambles. So man, how's that lashing working out? It doesn't work. No, it doesn't. That's just it. You can let that go. It's possible to just let that idea go that you have to be hard on yourself and everything gets better. But I think a lot of people think that they'll just become like lazy or worse or they'll start to fail or things will get worse, but it's just the opposite. Yeah. You know? It's just fear that without the, um, you know, the beating and the torture that it'll get worse, but actually the beating and the torture is like hold, holding you in the pattern of feeling tortured and beaten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really true. is. It's very true. I've, I've been teaching little kids for like t- almost exactly 25 years. And I, I instantly gravitated towards a style of never, ever, unless 100% necessary or unless prompted by asking, I never told them what they did wrong. I only told them what they did right. Even if they make that face at me, knowing that they, they know they blew the whole passage, right? Musically speaking. But yeah, I, then by telling them exactly what they did right, they almost understood what the bad thing was. And we didn't have to say a damn thing about it. And that improvement happens faster in this method, especially with younger kids. But adults too, adults appreciate it because they see the, they see the gesture of it and they understand there's almost a little sarcasm involved, like, yeah, yeah. but I'm not saying anything about it, you know, and it really helps. It helps the teaching process and it helps yourself because you have to be the best teacher for yourself. And that's one of the hardest things to do. And it's something that really can't teach somebody, you know, you have to, they have to find it. Yeah. And it's a tough, tough uh, thing to imagine, but when you do it, it makes perfect sense. That reminded me of something, man. You just reminded me of something I forgot all about. Okay, so when I first moved to the Walla Walla Valley from uh, Sacramento, I really was knowledgeable on hip-hop dancing. And, of course, in 1990, the people in the Walla Walla Valley were not, you know. (laughs) And so the dance instructor gave me free access to her classroom. So I was the only boy in class. I had a mullet with the side shaved, you know, with the lines like like MC Hammer and uh, Vanilla Ice. Yeah. And uh, But um, (laughs) I made a mistake one time during a performance. And uh, like I did this trick where I had to jump up and do the splits and roll back on my shoulders and kick up into a standing position. Right. And I missed and I must have made like the most horrible face because the audience went, oh, like that, you know. And afterwards, she told me, she said, hey, if you make a mistake next time, just stand up and smile and don't make a horrible face because that's what that you key everybody to the fact that something was wrong. Whereas if you just get up and smile and find your mark and just keep your smile, even if inside your head, you're feeling terrible, like an idiot, just keep your, your continence up. She said, you'll recover faster and the audience won't even hardly notice. And I, I remembered that forever. So I guess that was probably my very first lesson on what you're talking about. George. Yeah. You know, like sounds about right. You know, same kind of a teacher. I mean, she didn't criticize me at all. You know, in his uh, Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see the the screen? What did you say? I've seen SB getting his swerve on in my Twitter feed. 
Brothers got nah, moves. I, I might it. post myself that somebody might have clipped me dancing on this very program that we're on, and it may have made its rounds on the internet before. Yeah, we've had SB <laughs> doing his hip hop dancing on a vibrant. We've had Slick Dissonant doing the splits and PJs. All kinds of stuff is happening. Go back to that's the right, archives, that's right. man. That's right. Okay. Yeah, check the archives while they're still free. <laughs> that's a great idea i should go monetize the vibrance by like yeah lock it down them, making locking them down yeah that's a great nice. idea if you clip <laughs> a bunch of stuff that's really good and lock them down people will get mad but they'll pay <laughs> they'll pay dude so, seriously i barely ask for any monetization of my content it's like 20 percent or less is paywalled but we have a I want to see those cards as soon as you can. Would you open them up? You send something my way. I'm so curious. Yeah, I will. I will, man. Yeah, and I might do that if I. uh, I just want to. I want to catch up to where I'm at before I open them because it's honoring the process, you know. Not like uh, open Mm -hmm. them up and look at them and then fling them up on the shelf, you know. I want (laughs) to open them when when I'm actually ready to approach it because I want to. You've got me back on the gig, you know. I I learned about it from Gurdjieff. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, nice. You will need a license to post links in the not too distant future. That's a scary thought. Yeah. Oh, I hope that doesn't surprise me. Got a call in from Loco again. Another short little message. Let's see what he puts it on this time. Hey, y'all. I have a question about Sanskrit and how the word sun in Sanskrit has 12 different names. And I find that very peculiar. I was wondering if anyone had some additional gravy on that. Uh, it's really interesting. I don't really know much about yeah, it. Yeah, so sun, guys, Sanskrit uh, is... Weave on that if you can. Sanskrit is also, they say in India, Sanskrit. It is sun and krito, which is basically Cristo. In fact, in some dialects, when you see an, a T, they pronounce it with an S-T. So <laughs> anyway, so Sanskrit is Sanskrit, Sun, Christ, all of that. Uh, and I don't know all the names of the sun in the language, but I would say that when Surya, the sun, is going through his 12 stations, the, all the characters of the Zodiac are the sun. And yeah. the sun is the Agathodaimon, the, you know, nice. all the different Nice characters. It's like an actor that plays different roles, right? Different yeah. plays different characters. That's I would have to look more into the names of the sun in Sanskrit. But so, uh, so I got I got to throw a little more on there because it goes right back to what we uh, opened up with with the one to the two, and that there is always plus ultra beyond the pillars, and so you got twelve sun secret. It's the secret of the signs. These are the secret signs, and only the priest class can read. And they keep everybody else illiterate. In the when the you know when the plebes in the the working class, they got to come to the those who speak the signs of the secrets and know the secrets of the signs, uh, because literacy was a regular was totally captured in a lot of cultures. That's a good point. You know, earlier you mentioned pole star versus what it could be that might, you know, maybe the symbolism is going that way. Maybe it's not. And each time the sun, if the sun is represented by each of the stations that it's in and um, you know, the notion that maybe sun and moon are portals themselves, it, it could be a, maybe it's a portal reference instead of a pole star reference. I'm just throwing it out there. Cause I'm thinking back now from where we started earlier. 
Oh, yeah. The other good point is that San in Sanskrit can also mean saint, right? Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to just read you. This is going to make us laugh. Like, how did we not weave on this in the past? But the 12 names. Thank you for this, by the way, Jake. This is a great question because now you put me on the 12 names of the sun in Sanskrit. This, this is the thing. Once you have like the keys of this universal system and in, in the language etymology keys to decipher, uh, it's all way too big. Okay. <laughs> My analogy is like the reason why I never got into comics until later in my twenties was because I was always like intimidated by how many comics there were. And I always wanted to know it all and like wrap my arms around it. So like, why start something that I could never get to the bottom of? There are so many comic books, so much history, decades going back to the fifties of all the different Marvel antics, but religious symbolism and mythology is the same shit. So when I finally got, (laughs) it's literally like just an impossibly big thing and you can only ever look at a little slice of it at a time. So when I got into comic books, I got into Ultimate Spider-Man, which was like a spinoff where they restarted, they rebooted the story in the 2000s. And basically when, you know, Christianity began and many other religions, this is how I think all religions begin, is that somebody just did a reboot of an old story that was accustomed to modern times. Uh, that <laughs> and that there's less of a large canon of like holy works and scriptures and things to know of so that people could like, you know, get into it. It's a reboot. That's what it is. It's continually rebooted over and over again. So anyway, the 12 names of the sun in <laughs> Sanskrit. <laughs> this is some good lore right here. This is according to a Google search. I'm not, you know, backing this up with actual scriptures or inscriptions or anything, but the first name, right off the bat, Mitra. <laughs> oh, oh, I've never heard that oh. name before. Mitra. Second name, Ravi. Ra- Ravi with the B to the V switch. That's Rabbi. Ravi, Rabbi. Surya. We know all about Sir Yah. Sir Yah. Okay, Next hold on. Wait, before you go any further, I got because I'm going to forget. The, the first one, we're absolutely, we're in Taurus, we're Ariga, who is Mithra. The second one, Ri, Ra, it's double, it's repeating. We got the twins, and now you're saying Ser, we're in Cancer. We're going through the Zodiac here. Keep on blazing. Ser, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next is Banu. Bahanu. Uh, I'm sure we could probably dig some reasons out of that but the next one's kaha then it's pusha then it's hiren yagabra or hiren yagarba okay uh we could spend time on any all of these but the next one mary marichin so there's mary in there then aditya then saviter then Arka, Arka, there you go, Arka, that's a big one, <laughs> and uh, Bascara. So, I hope I pronounced Se- those right. Uh, secret, Buscara, uh, hidden to seek out, to look for. Hmm. The last yeah. one, that's very interesting. Nice. Thanks for that, Loco. That's really good. Um, you know, we could, you could just write a chapter in a book all about the 12 names of the sun in Sanskrit and what all those names connect to. That's good. I always just knew the Sanskrit name Surya for the sun. 
But <laughs> now every time someone brings up Mithra, I'm just going to be like, you know, Mitra is a name for the sun in Sanskrit. <laughs> that's a good one. So she's uh, also, so in Taurus, that's where the uh, Milky Way originates or has an origin point. Uh, in, uh, uh, so, you know, milk from cows, milk coming from the cows. And so the mother aspect of the Mitra is nice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> sign worshipers. We're all sign worshipers, man. <laughs> it's also interesting that if we are, you know, this is not a claim because I don't know uh, the order that why the order was put this way at the top of the Google search. But if the first name that they give us is Mitra right. and the 12 names, of the sun are the 12 characters as it goes to the 12 stations of the year. And the first station that you would go through would be the spring equinox, the vernal equinox, the Ram. Well, Mithraism in the Greek, according to the Greeks, uh, philosophers that wrote about it was kicked off because of the, Allegedly, the discovery of procession, which was obviously known before them, but that they claim they discovered procession. And of course, the Greeks, <laughs> the Greeks really liked to do that, where they would uh, they would come up with a fable for how they discovered or originated every sacred science and art and discovery. Uh, and it was always a dumbass story that really someone else before them had already figured it out, but they just wanted it to all trace back to themselves. Sounds interesting. Yeah, not, not surprising. I agree with Dylan that the Greeks really fucked things up. Um, what they call the Greeks, who knows? Allegedly. So anyway, with Mithra being in the uh, Mithraism, according to the old writings, came about because they discovered that Taurus was no longer where the vernal equinox was at, that it had moved to, processionally moved into Aries. So thus you get the Tarochtomy, which is the slaying of the bull. But right. that already happened even earlier with Gilgamesh and Enkid, Enkidnu and Enkidnu. And so, like I said, it was already known before that. But the fact that not only is the name of the sun Mitra in this Sanskrit, but it's the name of the sun in Aries, which is why Mithraism made Mithra the sun god. Because they, you know, they're big. Obviously, this system came is, is you know, cross pollinating all over the place. So anyway, Mithra, Aries. You know, the next processional sign over from the bull. I hope I'm making sense. I feel like I'm kind of blah. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about it. Makes plenty of sense, man. And Ra, Ravi, just the side note, Ravi Shankar, right? What, what is Shankar? Anyone have a, any, any headway on what it means? What his whole name could mean now? Sun something? I, for some reason, Shining. closed the tab, but I'm going to go back to it. Shining Chariot comes to mind. Shine card. Oh, yep. Card is like heart or fire or hearth or. Yeah, and he heart. got close with the Beatles, or the Beatles got really close with him. And I'm sure. Uh -huh. Serious. I thought Shank Heart, like sun that stabs you in the heart, but that's uh, like, very Mithraic. Very. Yes, yeah, Shank Heart. And you know, a while. Mithra again. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. A while back, um, it was something that Mario said. He was talking about the Beatles. Uh, you know, in the British invasion and the four four guys with bowl cuts coming over and fucking up our culture. And I was like, yeah, I remember after, that. It was after the after the conversation. I was like, bull cuts. That's the statue of Mithra. Yeah, that's Mithra. Four guys that's, cutting the bowl. 
four Mithraic uh, occulted brothers. Right. And they brought a plague of beetles over the ocean to, to take yeah. over. O-Town went the other direction. It's very interesting. Yeah, totally. So many beetles came that some stones rolled along with them. Right. <laughs> yeah, and they call Surya Surya Bhagavan. <laughs> but, you know, Baga is basically Baka phonetically. Mm-hmm. Easily could have just been a different spelling of the same thing. Reminds me of the Srimrod Bhagavatam. Same, like Bacchus. Similar. Bagis. Yeah, I think Bacchus is probably Buddha, but uh, where, no. so where are we at? You want me to bust out some Artemir? I don't mind. That sounds great. So well, I better re mute in case I get loud here. Good idea. I'm going to, yeah, you do that. And I'm going to get my, my stuff ready for flow state. Cause pretty soon we're going to switch over to hanging out over on the maidens channel. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I've been thinking about. So uh, you, as as I read this, you guys will notice there's plenty of constellations uh, dancing through all of her research, uh, and she's like, you know, going to Greece to these locations, you know, in uh, accumulating quite a bit of fascinating correspondences, but she is not astrologically inclined. She does not see this through the stars. Uh, so that's what's kind of fun for me is to read all of her research at the between PhD, the lines, between the lines. And she's incredibly well-informed, you know, this is her specialty. It's her forte, but it absolutely boggles me that I can literally walk from one constellation to the next. There's even geographic aspects to like, uh, where some of these, um, where these templar temples were located. Like uh, it's at the uh, at a fountain head. The fountain head is crucial to the Artemisian temple. In the fountain head, that's the Euradnus River. Uh, and sure enough, uh, if you if you just look at it on the star map, you'll realize that we are literally walking through the stars as the acolytes of Artemis evolve into their priesthood into their priestesshood. Um, and one more just side thought is I'm beginning to believe that one of the really fun secrets of uh, Artemis is that it is, uh, so we know that the Greek word for sin is R R is river. The Greek word for river is Rio, but the Hebrew Hebrew word, I believe, is R. Yes. Yeah. So So anyway, Artemis, the river of the goddess of wisdom. (laughs) Yeah. If you're talking about that. Ari Donus, that's basically Ari Donus. Totally, totally. And so I'm starting to see her as the, um, this being, so one of her name, you know, Artemis, this is the art of the miss. And something that we do a lot with our philology is we are artistically missing the mark. You draw the bow a little bit further. You put the stress in a different location and you bring forward other layers to the language. It's like you have to know the rules to break the rules type of thing. Yes. Philology is lockpicking. And so another title for our goddess here is the mistress or is her title the mistress. 
When you misstress the word, does it bring out new dimensions of its own truth? Uh, and that's what oh, I'm saying. That's, that's the priestly pun craft. That is, that's Ooh. the interact. Okay. Cause the original text before there were any of this was written down was the sky, was the stars, was the heavens, were, were the gods. Yes. So whenever you misstress when your conversation with your mistress, you're going to get new levels of communication. That's the interactivity. That's the That's interactivity. Right. Reading between the lines, the new, yes. learning a new language and seeing what those names would be in that language and what they phonetically are homonyms within your previous language. That's where all these mythologies and scriptures came from. That was the conversation. I really think that the ancient priests were just a bunch of fucking nerds like us and they were doing weaves and they were just keeping it in their little secret club. And they were thinking that they were like running into divine communication and they very well might be because how often when we're on our own research path, does it feel like stuff is just being dropped in our lap in a divine and synchronistic and mystical way? I think that's the, I don't know how you can call it anything else. Figured out a way to get all the, hardworking laborers to give them food and free shit while they just kept doing their basically reading their comic books and talking about their superheroes. Yes. Yeah, buddy. Happens after all. Let me tell you what fucking happens after all this weaving. Suddenly we, we start a, a real library. What is left beyond what we're doing at this moment, miles away from each other. We need a library. Of this. We need to be writing books. Karmatage. Karmatage, y'all. Start writing some books. We're going to start our own karmatage. Thank you, buddy. Years, man. I mean, I've never put anything to practice at all, but man, there needs to be this. This needs to exist in more than a digital format. We're leaving things on. Yes, we have our hard drives, but these, these where everything else exists, you know, it's relatively meaningless. It could be burned down in an instant. Dylan says, yeah, they were nerds like us, except they clipped their balls and dicks off for real because they believed in order to be holy, you had to give up that physical stuff. Right, they're right, so devoted right. to their goddess. They want to become a girl. Right. And also, um, yeah, it's so it does. It has all of this has such a dark and morose uh, aspect to it. it yes. Very often. He's right. Wait, it's that easy. I mean, not that it's easy. Say again, George, I didn't hear you. Oh, I don't remember what I said last. I was just saying, yeah, I agree with everything. <laughs> Library. Right, right. So theoretically, this misstress and the sin, the missing the mark, uh, this divine feminine being the vessel of the revelation of it all is actually quite gratifying considering that Eve was the first sin. She was the first transgression. And so in a fascinating way, the feminine, this divine feminine, is uh, a vessel for all of the words that people aren't hearing, for all of the reading between the lines, the intelligence, the in between the ledgers. Uh, so all of that is actually uh, divinely feminine in a fascinating way. Uh, so I think that's all I wanted to put forward because there's always more. I want to put something forward about our whole schizomistic thing. <laughs> This game, I was re- I was working on uh, chapter two of the Holy Sailors audiobook, and Dylan was quoting this guy named Samays or Samnays or something. 
old ass 1700s author about British history and the Celts and all that. And anyway, Dylan preserves the old English writing. He doesn't like translate it into modern English. So sometimes you get like, instead of the word show, you get shoe S H E W. And one of the, one of the words that this Samays guy kept using was situation, but it was spelled C or S C I at the beginning situation. <laughs> so I assume that they're still saying situation, but I realized I was like, Oh, so that SCI of situation is probably related to the skiere SCI in Latin that you get science from. And then it clicked. I was like, Oh shit. Schizo starts with the same phonetics. The schizo knows shit that other people don't know. And that's why they don't fit in is because they're seeing more. Anyway, yeah, we call ourselves a cyophrenic. I'm on, I'm on team schizo all day. <laughs> the schizo, situation. I'm all about it. Oh, it just SP. makes me think of Marzinski and Marzinski's angle on the whole thing. You know, you got, that, uh, you got, yeah. What is it? What's that quote? Oh, damn. SC in Latin sounds like SH in English. So the uh, schiere, as we would read it, would actually be schiere. So it's like she in it, even. We're talking about, you know, their mistress. <laughs> the yeah, she well, the, all. the she in science. Interesting. The quote Gabe's talking about, I think it was Jung that said that quote, what that, uh, you know, the, the water that the uh, schizophrenic is drowning in is the same water that the mystic is swimming through, you know? Exactly. Yep, that's that's the why one. it's easy for people to put accusations on people like us, especially if we take it so far that they can't reference anything about what we're talking about. They say, oh, these guys are nuts. These guys are obviously crazy. They've lost their minds. None of this. Yeah. Guys are making- I, I'm down for the schizo mystic title. Bring it on. Yeah. yeah, I'm fine. Well, I mean, you know, if 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 I sit in a room full of guys that are all deeply talking about trigonometry or uh, calculus, I also am going to think they're nuts because I'm not adept in math. So it's going to be like, you know, all of your little uh, squiggly shit doesn't mean anything to me, guys. Sorry. You know? Yeah, man. And, and it empowers us in the, the neologisms. You know, that's something else that we get to take a lot of liberties with making up our own words. I Absolutely. Got, uh, yeah. I got a couple poems. And if you, we pop- think that the phonetics stuff, if people out there think that we stretch with phonetics and, and letter swapping, just look what Dylan's pointing out right here. Early English has no rules. It's just spelled how they think it sounds like children. <laughs> that's right. yeah, yeah. accurate. So that's, that's, that's how, how language happen. used to be. You know, there wasn't like dictionaries and an internet. I mean, there might be amongst scribes, some agreed upon rules and they might've had dictionaries amongst themselves or in their region. But my point being that like, this is how language works. A modern age doesn't get that, but that the letter swapping, the phonetics, that we play with that is all super valid. It is only just like a authoritative consensus trance that puts the diction of Aries definitions and spellings onto people's consciousness and keeps them away from seeing things like, you know, what words actually meant <laughs> the intention behind a word. Like mm-hmm. when we weaved about radical the other, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that Ooh, that's a good one from ra- the Latin radix or radish as in like a radish. It's of the root radish. You eat the root of a radish yet in the modern Merriam-Webster dictionary, you go look up the word radical and it's somebody that is far from traditional, not at all, like non-traditional, not from the source. So like literally the modern Merriam-Webster Webster dictionary definition of radical has 100% changed 
and flipped from the original meaning. Yeah, and it's common. I'd say it's just part of this new management system to codify everything. We all know that Scaliger was the one that tried to give us this awesome chronology of history. And if you go uh, peek under the covers, then it all falls apart pretty fast. You know, it's pretty bad. Yeah, if you look at Scaliger's reputation, then it uh, gets really ugly. You know, yep. yeah. Scaliger, Scaliger and Bones. <laughs> you know, this English language, I realized from an early age watching tons of Godzilla movies, there's English everywhere even in those movies. And it's, it's everywhere. This language was built, you know, yes, child, childishly built in a certain way to almost capture the minds of a generation, much like this new Artemis landing, right? With our, our new footage of Earth from outer space and all this crap. Um, why, why Artemis? Anyone want to add to all that? Because I think there's a lot to be said about why they're calling it Artemis, but more importantly, again, you know, this English language, man, why? I don't even want to, I can't even, I know we're here to do it, but I also, I can't even get started because it's, it's too much, man. Every time I think about it and all the things that this language gets wrong, when you learn German or Russian or, or anything else, Sanskrit, Greek, it all just seems to flow and make more sense. A lot of them have actual gender attached to them. What well, English is so not doing any of that if you try to learn it from scratch when you don't learn it at first, it's a logistical nightmare. Why is it the chosen one? Why is that the language that, that, that that's pushed everywhere? It's fine to have English everywhere, but now they don't want dollars anywhere. They don't want English dollars anywhere, but they still mm. want the language everywhere. Mm-hmm. Saying that the language is going away lately, just the dollar. And that, that, that's, I find that so odd. Why is this the language? You know, what, what, where did this all yeah. come Well, uh, to, to maybe address the question on the Artemis, why did they name this mission the Artemis? We know about Apollo was her twin brother, uh, but in my Enneagram work, they were both, they're both on the six. They're both on the six, the loyalist with the shadow of fear. And hold on, let me read this. Yeah, Dylan yeah, says, you guys are on it. English is a universal empire. It's not just, it's just not ancient. Who did they come from? Then who did they come from? It's the same system, essentially. That's exactly how I see it, too that the universal empire has always been here, but there's like an or engineered collapse, rise and fall, you know, shuffling of uh, deck chairs on the Titanic, whatever. Yeah, rebrand. Rebranding, rebooting. Yeah, they, they reboot. Man, because okay. they have to, to keep people interested. Mm-hmm. New people yeah. don't really want to get into your cult if, you know, they have to go back and read every issue of Spider-Man. From yeah, they're not the going to do footwork. Exactly. Not, just like so you with, that, with the where comics. They start Spider-Man story over in a new medium that you can read. <laughs> it's always, and, it's a old, old thing. Like the whole, like, why do you think Hollywood, Hollywood is 90% reboots? Because that's the whole game of these, you know, this druidical system. Not to blame yeah. the druids, just that they're right. also part of it. <laughs> You're right. So uh, just to kind of follow through on this thought with uh, Artemis and Apollo being a six. So Apollo is the ascended aspect of the six, the loyalist, the conformist, the city builder, uh, the populist, the apopulist, Apollo, uh, Indian Apollos has Apollo in. It's the hub of the cities. Uh, It's even Diana in Diana, Apollo is. So Indianapolis has Diana. And Apollo, the twins. Who did we uh, just talk about? Who's Anna? The mother of Mary, the mother of John, the mother of Samson, etc. Anna? Yes. The yep. year. Hi, yep. Anna. 
Now, one thing that's fascinating here, so Apollo is the ascended aspect. It's the loyalists, it's those who are conformists, but that shadow is the fear aspect, and that is Artemis's domain. And uh, so Artemis is the goddess of the boundary into the wilderness of the darkness. So Apollo is the city and the population, and if you want to walk away and go into the wild and the unpredictable, you are going into Artemis's domain. And in fact, it might be a good idea to leave a little tobacco in a special location as you go into the woods. You know, this is literally in um, A Princess Bride. You know, this is where the rodents of unusual size, you know, you're going into Artemis's realm there. And so my theory here is that by uh, invoking Artemis with this new, whatever, wave of NASA Santa malarkey, uh, it maybe part of the program is uh, driving people back into the wilderness, back into the wild, into the unknown, uh, theoretically. And part of this is, uh, have you guys seen, I've been to the axe throwing range twice now in a year. Mm. And like the new, this is like a new cool, and it's fun as fuck. I love it. But it kind of concerns me that like everybody's taking away the guns but we're being encouraged to pick up axes and learn how to throw an axe. I would like a crossbow personally. Yeah, that's what's up. That's sustainable. <laughs> I really loved you talking to Topher about archery. I got to bust your balls though, dude. Have you ever seen in writing the word archer? No, dude, you say archer all the time. It's just archer, just one er. Oh, thank you. I love you. That's why I'm telling you that. I'm just Archer. I do. I say an extra. If there's two archers, then there's archers. It's my extra. I I get it. But I'm just out of love. I'm just giving you that little chirp. It's like when people say these ones, I I have a pet peeve of these ones. Like you can just say these. Nice. Nice. You're you're being redundant. I was going to chime in that you save a (laughs) syllable because I know you got a lot of words to get out and (laughs) a whole syllable. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that might be funny. You brought up the boundary, though. Um, I just am super stoked about this. That's apparently, according to Dylan, he announced it in the chat coming out on the 23rd. His next book is going to be called Terminalia. Hmm. So you're talking about that boundary. Check out how dope this cover art design is. Here we go. Dope is this. He's going to be showing how this universal system existed in the Americas and Mexico and all that before the conquistadors came and wiped it out. I see. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's Brahma. I mean, we're looking at something from Mexico, I assume, but that is fucking exactly the same way that Brahma's depicted. Yeah, I've seen that. That is too cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm excited for this book. Yeah, man. Stealth. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till you see what I found. Looking at the Mexicans, you will skirt, squirt. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> That's not what I'm going for. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right, you guys want me to fire off here? I'm I've been waiting. I got my right. I'm ready to draw and color while you read to me. So just right. take it away, bud. So I'm starting here in chapter two of She Who Hunts, and I find it. Uh, I don't know if she meant to do this or maybe the artist artist meant to do this, but this is a 
left-handed archer. Uh, and I find that to be a very uh, valuable uh, detail. So I thought I'd point that out. Um, and also, uh, you know, we've got the avatar popping off. They're, they're love bombing us with the blue light spectrum uh, 2.0 all over again with the uh, avatar thing. Uh, so that's kind of fascinating. Um, and in avatar, they do a very um, informed draw. It's, uh, they, you'll notice they turn their wrist out. And that is a very sophisticated uh, old style of, of archery. Uh, uh, and probably a nod and a wink to the Scythians. All right. So we're starting on chapter two. Minoan and Mycenaean traditions. Artemis as the mistress of animals. Connections. The connection between Artemis and the Minoan mistress of animals has been supported by scholars for the last 40 years. She has also been associated with goddesses such as Cybele, Hecate, Selene, and other lesser known or unnamed divinities, particularly on the island of Crete. And I'll point out that Crete is nestled within the word secret. Her inheritance of the symbols, rituals, and attributes of the Minoan goddess of nature will be evident here. Marinatos claim, I guess that would be mariners, mm -hmm. Marinatos claim that after the collapse of the Mycenaean world, at the end of the Bronze Age... Hold on, start the sentence over, but I just want to announce that I was playing Scrabble with Jenny last night, and I got... I, w I played all my letters on the word Mariner. I got oh, a bingo. gangster. That's gangster. <laughs> <laughs> Marinatos claim that after the collapse of the Mycenaean, Mycenaean world at the end of the Bronze Age, the Dorians were met with a fragmented set of deities whom they recast according to their own religious beliefs and social institutions. However, Many of the Dorian's fundamental beliefs and ritual practices, along with the goddess they primarily worshipped, survived well into the Greek classical period. The mistress of animals, who often appears in the role of huntress, armed with a bow or spear, can be easily identified with the earliest depictions of Artemis as Iokaira. Iokiera. How is it spelled? I-O-K-H-E-A-I-R-A. Iokiera. Yo, that's yo. That's Io. Io. Yo is Yao is Ya. It, you mm -hmm. know, it's all the same thing. The mother is the son, just like the Tetragrammaton Yadhe Vave can give you oh. Jehovah or you or Ya or Eve. All of would, those can be transliterated uh -huh. out of those Hebrew letters. Would, so anyway, would, uh, yo. Would, <laughs> yo, would, yo, triumphe. Yeah. Would Kaira have anything to do with falling? Kaira? Ayo Kaira? I feel like I need to see it visually. Uh, anyway, I'm it, interrupting it, too much. I'm enjoying the reading. Nice. Uh, so the translation for Ayo Kaira is of showering arrows. 
or Kirselakatos, Kirselakatos of the golden distaff, who delights in arrows. This from a hymn to Artemis. And although most scholars agree that the Minoan mistress of animals is directly linked to the Greek, the Greek mistress of animals, some components of both the character of the goddess and the ritual of her cultic worship require further analysis. So I'm going to pause there. I want to uh, maybe make a uh, argument against what she's stating. Uh, she's putting Artemis and uh, associating her with the arrows and the spears. I'm going to say sh that I, I would find the spear to be Athena. Athena carries the spear. Um, and Athena is uh, powerfully correspondent with the Virgin. Uh, the, she, I think they're the same. Because well, Artemis is the Artemis is wisdom. Athena is mm -hmm. the goddess of wisdom. True, true. And uh, words that were referring to missiles like spears and Arrows are mm -hmm. oftentimes like the same word. Interestingly, yes. arrows is phonetically eros, which is HRS, right. which is Horus, which is Jesus, which is the child, the son of the virgin. You know, she's got arrows. She's shooting off. Right. Well, my point, my point <laughs> is that the character with the spear is the centaur who is in Virgo. And she does. She is. She corresponds uh, Artemis with the Virgin as well. Now, all those goddesses love to say no. They love to say no. Oh, because because in uh, in the matriarchal uh, governing systems, they didn't tell the fucking dudes that they had any role in the in making babies. Guys had no fucking clue that that's where babies came from. And so the whole this whole thing about a virgin birth is goes back to the time. When men were just fucking and had no idea that that had anything to do with making babies because it happened nine months later and they weren't catching. So they had uh, when the matriarchal class was in play, uh, they were believed by the masses to be pumping out babies on their own. And in fact, there was a whole bunch of theatrics involved in making sure that I could I could believe that. Yes. Uh, so this, this, I mean, just the very nature of yin and yang. Yeah. The yin yeah. is the deceptive side. I do believe I do think that there's probably some validity to what you're saying totally. and also that you know these systems came from probably uh, I think that these priesthoods came from women first I think mm -hmm. women were the star watchers probably first and coming up with the stories I could be wrong yeah, I see. I that. mean, that's too yeah. far back. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of years, but so far back. I'm yeah, but bounce pretty quick. But I want to say that that was another thing from uh, from the lady who shall not be named was the idea that the priest priestesses were in charge and that they were so horribly in charge, castrating and having the men act as castrated prostitutes and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. massively in charge, deceiving to the point of men not even understanding the process of conception and birth that when yep. the tide did sway, the theory is that uh, the patriarchy took over so powerfully and angrily and so defensively because they were terrified to go back to where they had been to be complete chattel slaves under the 
the priestess system to where they literally like a common outcome would be that you'd end up being a castrated slave acting the part of the temple prostitute yourself. While maybe even the goddess herself is actually secretly a castrated man acting as a woman, you know, like it becomes very convoluted, but it is so kind of you guys over on the other side, man. Thank you so much for putting this on chance. I appreciate you, but I got, hey, I got to change in. hat. So love y'all. Leaving spider's side. Yeah. Job, I'll, I'll probably be over there, but I just got, I got to do some things first. So maybe I'll see you guys on the flip. All right, man. Much love. Okay. Bye. So yeah, like he said, it does. It gets so convoluted, it, it's mind-boggling. But another aspect of that is, okay, so if you believe that the generative power is strictly a feminine dynamic and that men play absolutely no role in it, then you, it is that much easier to convince uh, in, men to castrate themselves and to aspire to become a woman. You know, the psychological ramifications of it are, are a long story, a very long story. Uh, so yeah, all of the guy, all the goddesses being virgins, uh, does hail back to the priestess matriarchal time. Uh, but I again, I want to state that Athena gets the spear. I'm standing by that. I'm putting the spear is the centaur. It's in Virgo, and it's uh, different than Sagittarius, the archer. Uh, just just my two cents on what she's saying here, uh, because I do. I'm. Uh, I see the spear as very Athene, Athenian. <laughs> yes. 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 Says, if you guys ever make a movie, it should take place in the ancient world where the main character has to escape the priestesses like Apocalypto. <laughs> That's it, buddy. Someone should make that movie. It'd be a terrifying movie, though. Hell yeah, man. Please just don't put in a scene of someone getting clipped. I'm already <laughs> traumatized enough. <laughs> <laughs> if they do, we'll we'll find somebody who looks like old JT. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. All right, so where? Okay, and although most scholars agree that Minoan mistress of animals is directly linked to the Greek mistress of animals, some components of both the character of the goddess and the rituals of her uh, cultic worship require further analysis. Oh, and here's another thing. The, uh, the centaur is skewering or stabbing uh, Lupus, the wolf. So Athena would be uh, inclined to kill the wolf or stab or skewer the wolf. And that would not be Artemis's choice. She would not kill the wolf. So the idea of putting uh, a spear in the hand of Artemis seems uh, to go against her true nature. So that's another reason why I would, I would object to the spear being in the hand of Artemis. I I'm going to make a point though, that in a lot of the cults to Artemis, Mm -hmm. there were sacrifices of wild animals. Oh, you're right. And I wouldn't be surprised if wolves were sacrificed to Artemis. So I don't know, man. I, I, feel you. I feel you. You're right. Uh, in some of their rituals, the they pick the cho- the the best hunting dog, and they will sacrifice their best hunting dog for Artemis. You are right. That okay? I I I stand open. <laughs> Both the divine nature and function of the mistress of animals show that Artemis is of 
Minoan origin. Nilsson notes that Artemis is not the goddess of the classical mythology, the sister of Apollo, but a ruder and more primitive type of deity, which was widespread, especially in the Polynesian, excuse me, no, in the Peloponnesus and among the Dorian's people. She is, in fact, the most popular goddess of Greece, at least in the cult of the simple rustic people. That's his quote. This Artemis is the goddess of wild nature who is not touched or altered by the hands of men. Yeah, there it is. She roams the mountains and forests. In the shadowy groves and wet meadows, she hunts and dances together with her nymphs, who have faith in her as their fearless protector. In fact, dances are very common in her cult. These dances are of an orgiastic and at times indecent character, and the dancers are often depicted wearing masks. Hecate, Soph, Hecate, Suffocate, masks. Such scenes do not fit with the Greek tradition of Artemis as a virgin goddess. In tandem with this, the Minoan goddess is never shown inside a shrine. She manifests herself within a natural environment seated under a tree or on a rock. Pausineus claims, Pausineus claims that in Darion, Darion, D-E-R-E-I-O-N, Darion, Darion, that is the Lacedaemonia. Oh my goodness. L A C E D A E M O N I A. Lacedaemonia. There is in the open an image of Artemis, Dereatus. And beside it is a spring which they name Ananos. A N O N. OS sounds so familiar today. And when Artemis cannot be worshipped, that's represent- Anna again, by the way. Inanna, Anna, Anonos. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Vowels interchange, you got Anna. Yep. Yeah. At the fountainhead. <laughs> uh, when Artemis cannot be worshipped, a representation of her temple is often erected in a grove or near a natural spring. Uh, in that, the fountainhead of Eurydnus of Eurydnus uh, is right up there at the foot of Pavo, uh, near the South Pole, I believe, on the zodiac. Further to her worship, which is often established in a grove or near a natural spring. Artemis is also specifically associated with the worship of trees. In addition to the shared characteristics between Artemis and the Minoan mistress of animals, Nilsson further suggests that the worship of Artemis contains remnants of another equally popular Minoan divinity, the goddess of nature. The Minoan nature goddess was a goddess of fertility, 
not of agrarian fertility, but of the fertility of humans and animals. Ooh, that's going to make some people uncomfortable. (laughs) She helped females bring forth their young and assisted women in the pangs of childbirth, fostering young animals and children alike. She is also intimately connected with one form of the tree cult established around the sacred bow tree, which conveys life and fertility. Artemis inherits many of the same characteristics. She is a goddess of fertility, particularly in her Ephesian incarnation. She helps women with childbirth, and she is often worshipped in the guise of a tree. Pausanias, for example, describes her worship with a myrtle tree in Boea. So that's Adonis. That's Mary. Mother of Adonis is Mira. She's a virgin. She gets turned into the myrrh tree. Mm-hmm. As in the myrrh that is brought with frankincense and gold to Jesus. Nice. Nice, nice. Uh, okay. Pausanias, for example, describes her worship as a myrtle tree in Boea, a village in Lacedomenea. Lacedomenea. No, excuse me. Lacedaemonia. Lacedaemonia. Ooh. I think that it's a hard C. Lacedaemonia. As follows. They built a city on the site of the myrtle, and down to this day, they worship that myrtle tree. And named Artemis Sotera, or Savior. Nilsson notes that there is a close connection between the goddess of the tree cult and the mistress of animals. Both being natural goddesses, it would not be unnatural to regard them as forms of the same deity. Consequently, Artemis inherits the attributes of the mistress of animals, whose close associations with other Minoan goddesses of nature would also be inherited. Here again, we see her embodying the imagery, weapons, responsibilities, and attributes of her earlier counterparts. This provides further evidence that Artemis is not a divinity created by the Greeks as part of their pantheon, but was a goddess already deeply rooted in either Minoan or Mycenaean traditions who who was more easily transfigured into a goddess that could be categorized as Greek rather than removed outright. To further substantiate this claim, we will look at two popular Minoan goddesses whose attributes became fundamental to the Greek worship of Artemis. Oh, wow. Chance, I totally admire and respect what you've done as a, uh, as a spoken reader, especially with all these languages. Eleatheia whose main role is protector and nurse, and Britomartis, Britomartis, whose chastity and ferocious... Britomartis is uh, 
the covenant of Mars, the covenant of the Lord. Oh, wow. See, that's got a lot of... Breed breed is covenant. Yeah, like a brith. Like a a brith mila. (laughs) Yeah, that's it, man. And what was the other name? Still alive. Hey, what's up, George? Hey, brother, welcome back. (laughs) Sorry. Phone died, you know. Uh, Eliathea. E-I-L-E-I. T H Y I A. L. That's L and Theo. I mean, God and L right in there. I think it means, is it Elithia? That means truth. Elithia. That sounds good. I like it. Elithia. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Who's chastity and, okay, so we're, to, oh, hold on. Let me start that one over again. To further substantiate this claim, we will look at two popular Minoan goddesses whose attributes became fundamental in the Greek worship of Artemis. Eliathea, whose main role is protector and nurse, and Britomartis, whose chastity and ferocious protection of her virginity became an emblematic factor in the myths and culture of Artemis worship. Artemis as Minoan Eliathea. Eliathea, Eliathea, she who comes to aid. Eliathea seems to be a name for one form of the Minoan nature goddess, and it is probable that the Homeric tradition derives from the Minoan age. Pausanias supports her pre-Greek roots by referring to the earlier Lycian poet Olin who wrote a hymn to Eliathea in which he described her as the clever spinner, uh, identifying her with fate and making her older than Kronos. And Ariadne, they have to be uh, older than Kronos because they gave birth to the sun. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. Uh, Getting the chronology. You know, and here, Kronos. I didn't even get to the part in Higgins when I was reading Higgins about how Ariadne is the queen of heaven and Mother Mary and all that. Right. That's such a huge weave. Yeah, man. This is like, we're looking at the beginning of time. Mythologically, this is the beginning of time that she gave birth to Kronos time. That's pretty far out. Do you mind? I'm going to wrap us up soon. Do you mind getting to a a good stopping point in the read? I want to respond to a little bit of the read too, but then want to wrap up. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a part. Let me, I might skip ahead because, or I might just give quick cliff notes. I'm just going to give quick cliff notes <clears throat> so it doesn't drag too much, um, because that is that is a good stopping point because we got those two goddess, goddesses that are composite uh, aspects of the same. But uh, some of the uh, some of the fascinating things I'm learning in here is that uh, the young acolytes, the uh, the Artemis children of the of this cult would spend the first eight years of their life. This now this is myth. This is myth. But they would spend the first eight years of their life uh, cr- uh, pretending that they were bears, hmm. crawling on all fours and embodying the spirit of a bear. And that is absolutely mind-boggling to me in so many ways. Because for one, the Balenciaga debacle with children. And those teddy bears wearing completely inappropriate 
malarkey. You all Pale know and bear are basically the same word. Right. And so once, switch. Yep. So once they come of age, they go from this uh, pretending like they are bears. They then uh, evolve. The next phase is uh, they begin to venerate the lynx. And the lynx is a constellation. You would literally crawl off of the back of the bear and you would fall down onto the lynx constellation. And so, uh, and then from there, if you crawled off the back of the lynx, you would land on Leo. And so uh, you're going from bear to the lynx cat, to the lion cat, to the royal, uh, the alpha of them all. And this is quite profound because Artemis in the mythology of Typhon, when she runs and hides in Egypt, she she transmutes into a cat. And so this is the Hecate. This is the cat of Hecate. And Gnostics would probably be tripping out with some Yaldabaoth bullshit too. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I just, <laughs> just wanted to put that that lineage. Is quite urge, I'm squirting. Oh my god! Right, right. <laughs> He's making me do bad stuff. Right. And what is what is super compelling is that it's this chronology of the evolution of the acolyte is cosmologically impeccable. It literally moves from the bear to the lynx to the lion. And that's their evolution of their of their students. And it's, it's, almost, uh, it's interesting. It's almost like the lynx is the link between the bear and the lion. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's the lynx. <laughs> yep. And there's a there's a big weave uh, that all revolves around the uh, Isle of Man. Isle of Man has sacred lynx, uh, minx, cats. The minx is a special kind of lynx that is preserved as like a national treasure of the Isle of Man. The capital of the Isle of Man is Douglas, and that is Twilight Speak for the Dog Lass. Uh, Artemis is living yeah. large there. Yeah. They call they call the language of the people of the Isle of Man the, of uh, one of the dialects of Celtic Manx, A M M A N K S. Yes, and and then the women are called like it's like Man X or. Is it, there's like another word for the females, but it's like kind of like, you know, a, a man that's no longer a man is the name for women on that island. So there's something uh, quite wild going on in that location. Just uh, north of the Isle of Man is the Isle of Iona or Yona, which is the Yoni, used to be called the Isle of Hai or He, Hyrule. That's some, high, that's some Hyros Gamos going on right there. The <laughs> seat high. of rule in Great Britain. 48 kings buried there. Some 48 kings. Isn't that how many constellations were transferred in the, from the Sumerian to the Greeks, according to the, what, Almagest or whatever? Well, that's, yeah, that's the 12 plus the 36 um, minor deacons. That's the 48 yeah. that, that I'm, yeah. Yeah, I think the 48 Kings, Dylan, is astrotheology. 48 Kings buried there is probably the 12 and the 36. Nice. Then again, I mean, every, every number. And you, mentioned, you mentioned Hyrule, and that made me think of video games. That made me think of Atari as similar sounding to Artemis. And Atari has a, a system called a very short-lived system called the Lynx, Atari Lynx. It was a handheld. That's a trip. That is a trip. So speaking of, I want to just point out what I think my current working theory about this. So in your reading about Artemis, you're talking about how like, or she's talking about how 
goddesses inherit the attributes of previous goddesses. <laughs> he only thought of that because we said link, link to the past. I played that one. <laughs> anyway, I don't personally think these goddesses inherit attributes one to the next. I think it's, I mean, you could say that, but I think it's like, what's the name of Spider-Man? Peter Parker. Except there's also a Spider-Man named Ben Riley, and there's a Spider-Man named Miles Morales. And there's probably some other Spider-Man, you know, people have worn the mantle here and there. We're talking about reboots. And I think the reason, I think that the, it's just a retelling of the story and the stars and they retell it with more modern dressing. So it's more appealing and less convoluted as mm. the tradition went on. So I don't think so much that Artemis inherited attributes from a previous goddess or any of them inherit attributes from a previous one. I think it's more like it's the same character. We're still talking about Spider-Man, but it's like, you know, you go pick up a, a Spider-Man graphic novel, there's going to be a thousand of them that tell you the origin story by different authors written at different times. And in one of them, the origin story is happening in the 60s and another one is happening in 2005. Or, you know, I think that's I. the more that I look at this as an allegory or like uh, analogous to comic books <laughs> and Hollywood superhero movies and reboots and rebranding, the more it makes sense. The more all of a sudden it, it simplifies everything in a way. Um, and you don't have to try to like figure out where all of these pieces fit together because you couldn't do a chronology of all the issues of Spider-Man and get them in one perfect story. Different authors do different things and there's contradictions and overlaps and retellings of the same thing. And some reference lore from previous comic book authors and others don't know about lore that others wrote and contradict the previous authors. That is what we're looking at with the systems. I really think so. I really think that somehow the ancient world people got tricked into basically, you know, worshiping Batman. I really think that's what we're talking about here. And that's not to belittle it. That's not to say like you can get deep lessons and life lessons from Batman or Spider-Man or I have a Spider-Man tattoo because I think that with great power comes great responsibility. I want to live my life with that maxim. As a literary tradition, there's a ton of value in fiction, but it needs to be kept, in my opinion, in a literary tradition. That way it can be analyzed the way that literature is analyzed from multiple mm -hmm. lenses with multiple perspectives. As we started the conversation out talking about to be able to get the multidimensional infinite nuggets of truth out of something that is actually fiction. You first have to acknowledge <laughs> that it's fiction. Otherwise, you're going to get hung up on trying to make it the one thing that it's not, hmm. which right. is reality. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so one thing I would add to that is I, uh, something I will probably be addressing more frequently is the spirit of this goddess. And with this amalgamating and overlaying of all these other goddesses fitting into her. Uh, there's the spirit of Artemis, which is the six on the Enneagram with the shadow of fear. And fear is the low hanging fruit. It is the it is the lowest, most base of uh, what we uh, strive and thrive uh, to conquer. Uh, so, you know, all of the scary, hairy, canary malarkey around this is is an offering to her. You know, if you succumb to the fear, 
then you're playing right into her corner. Right. Uh, Just like the story of like, if you don't believe the right thing, you're damned to hell. Mm-hmm. That creates fear that funnels you into one interpretation only. And that's the dogmatic one of whatever the system is. Yes. That it needs to be real, literal, historical, or I'm going to hell. Fear collapses the waveform down into a singular outcome. Yep. Whereas, you know, love expands to higher potential. So if you really want to be in love, you're like, you want to be able to see the multidimensionality of the stories. Yeah. yeah. George, you got any thoughts to, before we wrap up? I'm, I'm ready to land the plane. As Owen says, I'm ready to <laughs> park the ship. No, I think that I think a lot of ground was covered. And um, if anything, just, you know, if, if the, the best thing to leave this at, I think is that because we're surrounded by so many people that are not thinking this way still that have no idea that this kind of thought even exists because of the ways that they're raised, the way that they're taught, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've noticed a lot of people are, I'm not talking about you guys at all. I'm just saying the usual common people that are getting there, getting the, to the point where maybe I could start thinking this way. Maybe I can start to see what you're saying, but they still shun everyone else out of their own circle. And no one talks to their neighbors. No one talks to their, the person selling them stuff at the supermarket. I just hope that just by us mentally being there, we can help other people start to not hide their own selves from everyone else. We are, we need neighbors. There is no neighbors anymore. It's crazy. So I hope that everything we do um, is not just what we're doing. I hope that it really is starting to spread its sphere of influence around. And I just, I wanted to put that out there. And that has oh, nothing it to do does. With and it will. Yeah. I think I really do feel it. And um, the more we think about it and manifest it, it'll happen. Yeah, man. Here, here. Nothing to fear but fear itself, baby. It's all, you know, <laughs> if you feel that there's fear, speak to someone that you don't even know. You might change yeah. their life. Yeah. Love it. You guys are awesome. Thanks for hanging out with me all night, George and Gabriel. Thank you. Gabriel's for obligated me. due to tradition. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, George, it's great to have you hang with us. Thank you so much. I, we should do these more often. These just open free form weaves are super fun. And I think a lot of the audience agrees that they're some of the favorite conversations. So we'll work more of these. And I'll, I'll, I get excited about all the people I could schedule for a you know more structured convo. But this is great. We'll do more. I think uh, what's coming up next week on The Vibrant? Interverse is going to be live on Sunday with uh, Matt Presti. If anyone knows about Matt, we'll be talking about the, his recent work on refuting a lot of like simulation and, you know, Gnostic pop culture ideas, mm. you know, other dimensions. Like, what does that even mean? He's kind of from the Walter Russell School of Physics, really deep dude. Nice. And then on uh, next week's Vibrant, we're going to bring back. James and or Elise, definitely James from Family Fungi. And we're going to go into that conversation about registering the baby with the state or not. But we're, oh, bringing, yeah. we're bringing Topher along for the ride the next time. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I've been talking to Topher too. There's some things coming. You, you just wait, man. Awesome. He's Sweet. the shit. Yeah. Sweet Shout out Topher. Is, man. He's the best. Yeah. I love that dude. All right, so we're going to wrap up, and uh, I may jump over to the Flow State on the Weaving Spiders YouTube channel. Maybe not, but, you know, stay tuned. Hit me up for a tuning if you really want to stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) My uh, my tuning calendar is actually kind of light right now. So, you know, it's a great time to get in there. 
uh, you could probably get a, be on my schedule within a week or, or less. And uh, I'd love to do some, you know, more great work with you guys out there. Like I already told a story about somebody puking. That's probably not a good advertisement <laughs> for getting a tuning, but I was like, worth telling the story. Cause a, it's true. And B it's like, clearly something's happening. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so- that was an extreme, an extreme situation. You probably won't puke. We will definitely laugh. And you'll, you know, you're, you'll feel something. It'll be good. So hit me up for a tuning chance at interversepodcast.com. You know, check the links in the show notes for all the things you can do to support the show, whether it's the merch store, uh, you know, get an audio book, check out Dylan's audio book. July, July is in with black swans where I do the narration any day now, any day now there will be another one. So, all right. Good night, Gabriel. Good night, George. Good night, chatters. Thank you, everybody. See you all later. Much love. Later, man. Peace.